I'm Luke. And I'm Jason. We're the guys from That Film's Due, and this is our Year in Review 2023. In this annual special episode, we'll look back at the year that was 2023 in film and TV and let you know what our worst and favourite movies of 2023 were. Make sure you subscribe and download this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find us, and feel free to leave us a review. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as That Film Studio Podcast. In what really felt like the first year in a while to get back to complete normalcy, it still ended up being a year of highs, lows, and all sorts in between. Hollywood came to a halt, not once, but twice, in what seemed like forever as the Writers Guild of America went on strike, only to be followed by the Screen Actors Guild interrupting a large part of the 2023 television season, causing major delays in many film productions and putting several thousand livelihoods on the line. Hollywood and the world lost numerous beloved figures in 2023, including actors Andre Brewer, Lance Reddick, Michael Gambon, uh, Richard Roundtree and Burt Young, singer-songwriter and actress Tina Turner and director-producer and screenwriter William Friedkin. Uh, but it was the sudden and shocking death of actor Matthew Perry that gave us real pause and really reminded us of how influential these people, you know, despite more often than not, not ever actually knowing them, um, you know, just how influential and important they were to us and just gave us further importance to their contributions to film and TV uh, that they leave behind. It was an interesting year as we saw multiple big high-profile blockbusters struggle at the box office, including Disney's Animated Wish, Lucasfilm's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and the Marvel's and DC's slate of theatrical films, Shazam! Fury of the Gods, The Flash, Blue Beetle and Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom. On that note, one of the biggest announcements came on the back of the restructuring of DC at Warner Brothers as James Gunn and Peter Safran announced the first chapter of their universe titled Gods and Monsters, officially declaring the end of the DC Extended Universe and announcing the future of everything to come under the new DC Studios. There were still a number of high-profile blockbusters that delivered what audiences were after and brought in big dollars at the global box office, including Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Fast X, The Little Mermaid, and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. A huge box office surprise was the success that the Super Mario Brothers movie had, which held the number one spot at the global box office for most of its theatrical run, only to fall to second place before the uh, the year came to an end. 2023 continued to add fuel to the success of video game adaptations with the release of Five Nights at Freddy's and the HBO series The Last of Us. So you mentioned that Super Mario Brothers ended up at number two at the box office. Which leads me into mentioning the incredible win that Barbie had. Of course, taking that number one spot as it took in $1.446 billion. But honestly, what was that phenomenon that occurred known as Barbenheimer? And how can it ever be recreated? Because you know they're going to try. The studios are going to try. 
Absolutely. <laughs> with neither Warner Brothers Pictures or Universal Pictures wanting to move their films from the release date of July 21st, both studios released Barbie and Oppenheimer, respectively, but not without the cultural phenomenon which preceded it. Barbenheimer, memes, artwork, social media marketing, and good old friendly rivalry escalated the excitement and enthusiasm for the two very different films. The results, two box office giants. Speaking of giants, it was a bit of a year for Godzilla. Not only did we get our first tease of 2024's Godzilla x King Kong, the new empire, uh, but the Monsterverse returned with the Apple Plus series Monarch Legacy of Monsters. But that's not all. A new Japanese Godzilla movie, Godzilla Minus One, stomped its way onto our screens. Speaking of giants, again, Taylor Swift. The concert film produced by Swift, Taylor Swift, The Era's Tour, was released using unconventional marketing routes and blew up the box office. 2023 was the year my three-year-old son went to the cinema for the first time. We took him to see Paw Patrol, the Mighty Movie, and he loved the experience, which is good for me. Um, the kids had their fair share of entertainment with movies such as Peter Pan and Wendy, Elemental, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, Trolls Band Together, Leo, Wonka, and Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. On the flip side to that, there was a bit of a comeback of adult comedies with movies like Cocaine Bear, Renfield, No Hard Feelings, Joyride, Strays, Vacation Friends 2, and Anyone But You. Another major news story which became an ongoing saga throughout the year was the Jonathan Majors drama as the rising star knocked it out in Creed 3, was possibly the best part of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and featured heavily in Loki Season 2. He faced an assortment of assault charges and eventual conviction, as Disney and the MCU primed the direction of their universe to focus heavily on Majors as the character of Kang. Uh, the future of both the actor and the Kang character seems to be up in the air as we go into 2024. There's always a good abundance of horror movies, and 2023 was no exception. Megan, Missing, Knock at the Cabin, Talk to Me, Scream 7, The Pope's Exorcist, Evil Dead Rise, Insidious, The Red Door, The Nun 2, Saw X, The Exorcist Believer, and Thanksgiving. And a fairly good assortment of sci-fi in 2023, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, The Creator, Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, and 65. Oh, yeah, 65. I do like dinosaurs. Um, yeah, definitely not enough dinosaurs in 2023 for my liking. But we did have Dungeons and Dragons, um, Songbirds and Snakes in Hunger Games, and The Return of the Meg. So lots of teeth, I suppose. Um, John Wick kicked ass in his fourth chapter. The Expendables came back for their fourth entry. And Chris Evans and Anna Damas brought all the sexiness in Ghosted. It was a milestone year for two of the biggest film studios as both Disney and Warner Brothers celebrated 100 years of varying levels of fanfare. 2023 seemed to be the beginning of a new chapter as movie studios 
movie pundits and film-going audiences face a crossroads as they look to the past and remember the rich history of Hollywood and continue to try to navigate this new world of streaming, a departure from physical media and the ever-changing interests, trends and wants of audiences. Disney ending physical media in Australia. Outrageous. It really is, but we don't have time. <laughs> but of course, <laughs> it isn't a fully rounded year without the serious stuff. The dramas. A good person. Bo is afraid. You are so not invited to buy Bar Mitzvah. The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon and Saltburn took on very different journeys driven by strong characters and intimate stories. True life came to the silver screen in movies like Tetris, Air, Gran Turismo, Dumb Money, Priscilla, Ferrari, and Napoleon. What a year. Interesting, full of drama, lots of fun, lots to enjoy, lots to hate. That was 2023. As always, I, in writing this, I glazed over most of um, TV because we're just too spoilt with the abundance of content, let's be honest. Um, but we will touch on a bit of TV throughout the show. Before we get to that, as always, we want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to the people who have made this year a success. Bloody hell, do so well. Before we get to that, as always, we want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to the people who have made this year a success for us this year. I want to give a shout out to my regular co-host, Jay, over at Sounds Like Comics, and Nathan, who has been doing more episodes lately. And no doubt you want to give a shout out to your Rewind and Review co-host. Oh, do I? Yeah, all right. Or not. Yeah, Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he's um when we when we can get him on, we maybe like to think we put together a good episode, so we'll keep doing it until this becomes unprofitable. Um right. <laughs> Well you did say glazed over most of TV. So let's let's start with TV. And that's literally where we always start. We never quite know. Are we alternating when we do our top three or top two or whatever we're doing? I think we should alternate. Well, yeah, because, I don't know, the listeners might just get sick of one of us talking. It's just too much of one person talking. Well, let's start with Best TV 2023. We'll pick three each and we'll alternate. You can go first. All right. So, look, there was there's quite a lot of TV that I watched this year, which I think I had a little bit more free time finally um, back under my belt. And, look, I want to sit here and say, like, you know, like, uh, season two of like Yellow Jackets, or you know, like I don't know, season nineteen of Grey's Anatomy, or something like you know, like the the usual go tos. But I thought I'd try and go with new TV, like brand new stuff that has come out. Um, and in my third spot, I'm giving it to Beef, which at this point I'm going to call a mini series because I don't know if they're doing anymore. It seems to be done. Um, you might have been hearing about this show, like in you know the current award season. Uh, bits and pieces have been thrown around. Um, this is the comedy drama, again, I'll call it miniseries created by Korean director Lee Sung Jin for Netflix. Um, if you don't know about it, um, it's, a, it's a show about Danny Cho, who's played by Steven Yeon, and Amy Lau, who's played by Ali Wong. Um, they're two strangers whose involvement in a road rage incident escalates into a prolonged feud. Um, not a long series, like a short 
short season, bite-sized episodes. You know, we're talking 20 minutes to half an hour for the majority of them. Funny, interesting characters, lots of dark humour. Um, the the chemistry, good and bad, between these two um, lead actors and just their interactions and the supporting characters that sort of drive the story. Um, it's a fun watch. It gets wacky. It gets weird. It gets ridiculous. But there's lots of laughs to have. Um, and I just think the simplicity of the premise and then where it escalates, it, it takes you on a bit of a journey. But I was wondering, have you checked this one out? Or I'm assuming you know about it. Absolutely. It was on my radar and it was released and it's just sat in my watch list. <laughs> Haven't got to it. I've got every well, intention of watching Choosing it, it will motivate you a bit more. Well, I I watched the UK version of Gogglebox and that's basically fans of TV sat around watching TV shows. It's more interesting than it sounds. But one of the episodes, okay. they were watching Beef. So I've seen... Right the initial interaction between them when watching that. But it looks good, and I absolutely will watch it. So my my third entry is a cartoon, and <laughs> it's one that when I first heard about, I thought was going to be a kid's cartoon, when it turns out that it's a bit more mature than that. To be fair, aimed at, like, say, teen and above, I'm talking about my adventures with superman season one the voice cast we have jack quaid as clark kent superman allison lee as lois lane and ishmael saeed as jimmy olsen this is an origin story for the man of steel it's very familiar but at the same time there's enough changes that it is a different spin on the story that we think we're going to get because we've had his origin told so many times there is changes to certain characters but the world building the dynamic between clark lois jimmy and then you've got superman you've got amanda waller you've got krypton you've got all of that i absolutely love this third i absolutely love this first season and i'm looking forward to the second season but yeah this was just a Pleasant surprise. Even the name of the show, My Adventures with Superman, it just sounds like a preschool show, to be honest, but it's really good. <laughs> have you checked but it it's out? It's more in line with, I have, I have. Um, I feel like the title's more in line with, like, it's sort of like My Night with Superman, my, you know, like the, the Lois Lane news article kind of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, you get it. You're familiar. Um, no, this is, a, this is a pretty decent show, and, you know, like, I was curious as to how you would feel about like the anime art style that that obviously comes with this, but uh, look, I I like the I like the art style. I like the I kind of like the the younger spin on these characters as well. Like, I mean, like I said, it's not a kiddie show, but it does obviously skew a little bit younger. Like these, I mean, are, as I say, quite, yeah, they're not quite teenagers, but they're very youthful. It's the yeah. early days of. Superman doing things. It is, um, and and it it works. Like the dynamics work, and then revelations happen at a good pace. Like, do you know what I mean? That like normally you'd have to wait multiple seasons or whatever for certain things to be found out about certain characters. I I, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. I think the show is 
fantastic. The animation style, yeah, it's not my usual go-to, but for this, it, it worked. When he first got the super suit, though, and I, I know I'm taking up a lot of time here. We'll move on. We've got so much to get through. When he first <laughs> put on the super suit in that first episode, and it was very much reminiscent of like what you'd get from like Sailor Moon back in the day. I'm like, oh, <laughs> don't know about this. Don't do this every time. You know, like uh, like morphing in Power Rangers. Don't do this. Yeah. They just that's when he first got the suit. So I'm glad that they left that in the in the first episode. <laughs> they did. Yeah, you can't do it every time. And they didn't. <laughs> Just went full anime. It's great, um, but no, it's it's a it's a fun show. What's your number two? All right, so uh, so off the top there, I said that I was going to do just brand new shows, but. The fact that I only watched the first season of this in 2023, I'm going to make this one qualified. But it is season two of The Bear. Um, again, another one that you're probably hearing a whole lot about in the award season and stuff. Um, and rightly so. This show is absolutely fantastic. Um, it's it's great. It's it's fast paced. It's like hectic. It's like it's such an intimate, claustrophobic show. Um, with fantastic performances and really creative stuff when it comes to like direction wise and staging of of scenes and and all that kind of you know artsy filming kind of stuff. But if you don't know what this is, this is a comedy drama series created by Christopher Stora. Um, you can find it on Disney Plus or if you're somewhere else in the world, probably Hulu. Um, this is about young award winning chef Carmen or Carmi uh, Bizarro, who's played by Jeremy Allen White returns to his hometown of Chicago to manage the chaotic kitchen at his deceased brother's sandwich shop. Uh, with it comes unresolved uh, with it comes unresolved debts and uh, a rundown kitchen, unruly staff, uh, whilst also having to deal with his own pain and family trauma. In this second season, it's very much like a, like if you take each season as like a movie, like this is a true sequel. It, it takes the characters that you get in that first season um, and it elevates them. We get a lot more depth into sort of their characterization, their backstories, and, um, you know, it just dives more into their family stuff. But this second season sees the crew working to transform their sandwich joint into a next-level uh, spot as they tackle issues like permits, rising food, food costs, uh, falling walls, mold, um, and a faulty fire suppression system, which is very dramatic when they eventually get that resolved. Um, there's a there's a, there's one episode mid season where it's like cause most episodes are about half an hour to forty minutes long, and this there's one episode that's like sixty something minutes. I was like, what is this? It felt like a little movie in itself. It's a it's it's a Christmas episode. It's just about their, their family. It's a flashback. It's their family. And it's just crazy. It is. It's, I don't know. This show is great. And again, it all comes down to the performances of um, a lot of the actors in this show. Obviously, Jeremy Allen White, but also uh, like uh, co stars like Evan Moss, uh, Backrack, um, Ayo Adibri. Um, and even in this second season, there's an abundance of like just random guest stars in these. In these roles like Olivia Coleman, Will Poulter, um, that blonde chick from Community, can't remember her name was on my head, but Britta, I don't know. Um, just yeah, there's just these random like just cameos that just sort of pop up, like just guest stars. And I'm like, yeah, every now and then it's like, oh, you're in this show now, cool. 
Um, great show. Don't know, again, I know, sorry, proud on Olympic then, but I'm very excited about the show. Have you watched it? <laughs> Do you like it? Have you? Yeah, I don't know. It's on my list. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it is Get on my up, list. Good. I've only heard good things and I've seen clips and what yeah I've got every intention of watching it there's just no time movies TV you know it's oh, it's like a job like finding time to watch all these things it's like a job what? that no one pays us for it's crazy <laughs> but you know what do you know do you know what I do have issue with and it's not this show's fault it's the category that it got put in for the Emmys you're saying how good it is and, and I believe you completely how funny is it? It's pretty funny. But is it really? Like, is is it funny? I mean, Jeremy that... Allen White at the Emmys, he won Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy. Multiple yeah. actors got that award. Outstanding Director, Outstanding Directing for a Comedy Series. Mm. Like, outstanding I mean, I Writing for a, a Comedy drama. Series. The it sounds like a drama. It, yeah, the comedy that's in it is, it's like that, like, I don't know, it's it's circumstantial, it's the characters, but there's, there's dialogue and stuff like, like, this isn't a sitcom. Like, it's, I don't know, there's tongue-in-cheek humour, there's, and it's more like, it's clever, witty writing of banter and people, I don't know, it, it, am I explaining that right? Like, yeah, it's it's funny because you're invested and it's like hanging out with mates and you're having a laugh and you're doing Yeah, things, I know, but you know, like, yeah. Wait, what it's is, not a it's comedy. Not, like, it's really not, Yeah, it's well, really you've not. said it. You, okay, you've answered my question. It's not a comedy with dramatic moments. It's a I drama mean, it's with funny moments. When it's described online, whether it's like IMDb, Wikipedia, or, you know, whatever, it's, you know, it's listed as a comedy drama. I mean, that is what it is. I mean, obviously, like, there's varying levels of comedy, but it's not a straight... Yeah, it's not a sitcom. So, but looking but, at what else was in that same category, like I bet Elementary, that's a that's a straight up comedy. Mm. I mean, Ted Lasso, yeah, that that became a comedy drama, but then drama with a bit of comedy in it. But I don't know the bear. It just you know what I mean. Like sometimes, sounds like you got to take uh, you got to take this up with like the Emmys organization. It's not the, just the, Emmys. It's just ones. the awards. <laughs> like for me, yeah, comedy seems to be the category that gets screwed over the most because from the sounds of it the, the best comedy is a drama and then you've got the comedy and musical award and then in musical anyway we <laughs> this is a big show already. i mean now you're going into golden globes uh oh, we just uh that's not even worth talking about no i mean i i started <laughs> it let me just go on to my number two which is the last of us Season one, starring Pedro Pascal, Bella Ramsey. I'm putting this as my number two because this is a show that I experienced brand new. I haven't played the video game. I had none of that baggage. It's just, hey, this is a brand new thing. Sat down with a wife each week, watched it and loved it. It was a joint experience. We both had no prior knowledge and... Really enjoyed it. I mean, the plot is, you know, fairly straightforward. Uh, tasked with escorting a teenager across a post-apocalyptic world, a dreaded smuggler joins hands with a young apprentice to fulfill the mission unscathed. And then they come across other characters along the way, including Nick Offerman, who just won his first Emmy 
for his portrayal of Bill in this very show. And there's also talks about a potential prequel series about him and and his husband's character. It's just brilliant, like really, really brilliant. Those really quiet character moments, but then visually the FX is absolutely fantastic. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the show. I mean, yeah, I watched it. It was all right. Okay. Nah, it, it's, <laughs> nah, I'm joking, of course. No, this is a very worthy um, choice for your, for your number two spot. And what you said about the um, the potential prequel, apparently um, that's been now, now confirmed as not actually happened. That was just Nick Offerman having a bit of a laugh. So that's, not, they're not actually doing that. But they're Thanks, mate. Doing we, a season two. we could have just, just gone with it. I mean, this is what oh. he really had to say. I think we pitched a whole mini-series of a prequel of their lives before they met each other. So now it sounds very throwaway. But anyway, Offerman, acknowledging him, he yeah. won his first Emmy. This show was fantastic. Like, how many times can you go up to someone and uh, just be like, episode three, and they know what you're talking about. And that's that episode with Nick Offerman where it's like, in- encapsulized in itself is its own little mini-movie thing, like a short film. like. That was the level that we were getting. Um, and not to jump ahead here, but um, that's actually why I've put The Last of Us as my number one. So there we go. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're going to have to we're build gonna up. Pick, Might as well just... <laughs> yeah, we're going to pick each other's things on, on occasion. But yeah, I mean, yeah. this is what they used to refer to as a water cooler show. Like yeah, you'd be at work or whatever or chatting with friends, family. And everybody would be watching a show that was the last of us like every week you know mates in the uk and we're talking about it and there's like a few artists online one comes to mind butcher billy and he was doing artwork for each episode it was fun seeing what he was going to come up with each week this show is a real moment yeah and how good was it having that week to week release because we had that like cooling down period where we get to chat speculate you know like and obviously like some of us who had played the games like myself and then like when I had played that game, I was like, wow, this is the best game I've ever actually played ever. Like, you know, I've played Mario Brothers, and all that, but I'm talking like, you know, the more modern, like, you know, shoot 'em ups and all that kind of stuff. Like, the story was cinematic, the characters enriching, all of that. And what they did when they made this show was they captured all of that, put that on screen, but then they made some tweaks and changes that actually elevated the the source material there like watching this show each episode i was just thoroughly thrilled with what they were doing like the like capturing key moments and being like wow that's just like that game and i'm um, experiencing that like having all the thrills and then some changes i was just like i've done this better like they've they've looked at things where it's like oh taking a second stab at this essentially where we're gonna tweak it and do some stuff and you know it all comes together with the two leads, Pedro Pascal and, and Bella, Bella Ramsey, you know, all the, there was all that bullshit and stuff about like, I uh, am, you know, they've cast the wrong people, all that kind of stuff. You watch this show and you just believe what you're seeing with those two. Like they, they are great. And, and again, as someone who's played the games, it's like what Bella Ramsey's doing with, with Ellie's character. It's like, she's there. She might not look like the character 100%, but like she is acting and bringing that character to life. Fantastic show. 
cannot wait for season two that we're going to get in like 2028 or some rubbish. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. hope not. It's a while. Yeah. <laughs> no, 2025, maybe, maybe next year. Now, I, we're very early on. I've lost track here. So have we done your top three and I've just picked your number of my number two? Uh, yeah, so now you just get to do your number one, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with the third season of a TV series. You probably know what I'm going to say. It was easy for me picking the show. I'm talking about Star Trek Picard. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. The reason I have Prime Video was for season one of Picard, and then season two happened, and it's like, wow, so disappointing. But then they gave us this third and final season, and wow, did I love every minute of this season in the third season picard learns that he has a son who has been hunted by mysterious enemies he reunites with the former crew of the us enterprise to protect his son and face a new invasion by the borg honestly the guest stars the next gen guest stars on this show was phenomenal. I'm talking Jonathan Frakes as Riker, Gates McFadden, Crusher, LeVar Burton, Jordan LaForge, Michael Dawn, Worf, Marina Sirtis as Troy, and Brent Spiner as Data. They found a way to bring him back. I loved it. Honestly, I absolutely loved it. Episode 9 was phenomenal. I can't remember the last time I rewatched a penultimate episode before I watched the finale. I just had to do it again. I had to go back in. <laughs> so much to enjoy. It just, not in a bad way, but in the best way possible. Season three just felt like fan service. And I was there for it. Well, All I of mean, it. Just. I haven't said it, but like from what you've told me, it, it essentially is just like, you know, next gen. Just the reunion, isn't it? Like it is. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Oh, did you say you've not seen it? No, no, I'm not up to uh, I mean let's yeah, um no. let's hit pause. We can come back. You've all I think it's like <laughs> ten episodes. Honestly, you've got to watch it. It is it is so good. See, yes, it you know, it's everybody coming back, but at the same time, like although I've got issues with season two, the three seasons of Picard is telling one story. Like, so it's not right. like they're doing a completely new thing for season three, but what was building on the first season, the second season, and then what happens in season three, there's a reason why he needs to get his old crew back. And it just works. Everybody gets a moment to shine. It's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. Loved it. So therefore, it's my number one. Okay, so now on to most anticipated TV of 2024. We'll pick two each for this one. Do I go first? I'll go first. Yep, let's do it. I'm hosting, so you have to uh, go first. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Um, well, my number two pick, um, you know, despite this show definitely going off the rails at some point and maybe other spin-offs being a little bit rubbish. I'm doing this. The Walking Dead, the ones who live in question marks, I'm going to put, or with a question mark, I'm going to put season one. I don't know if this is a one-off or, or whatever. Um, 
the upcoming post-apocalyptic television series created by Scott M. Gimble and uh, Denai Guerrero for AMC. Um, it's set after the conclusion of the original The Walking Dead series with Andrew Lincoln, um, Denai Guerrero, and Pollyanna McIntosh reprising their roles. It will be the sixth spin-off and overall seventh television series in the Walking Dead franchise. Now, you might be saying, Walking Dead, come on. Like, what's going on? Why is this my most anticipated? Number one, Rick Grimes is back after, you know, going missing a couple seasons back with the main show. That's all done and dusted, all that kind of stuff. Finally got him back. This is supposed to be like a six-episode. I think every episode is like 90 minutes long or something, so essentially we're just getting like these little movies. Um, uh, Rumours are saying the budget's also like ridiculous, so that's exciting. Um, but look, I I was getting really tired of, of Walking Dead, much like most people have. But I've got to say that that most recent spin-off, the Daryl Dixon uh, thing where he's in France or whatever, really decent show. Didn't make my top three, but really decent show. It kind of brought back like, a, wow, Walking Dead can be good again. So that just spiked my excitement again. Uh, again, Rick Grimes is back. Um, and if you need a little bit of a synopsis, the epic love story, well, the epic love between the two characters, Rick Grimes and Michonne, will be tested as they try to reunite whilst being kept apart by an unstoppable power in a changed world that is built on a war against the dead and ultimately a war against the living. I mean, sounds pretty much like The Walking Dead. Um, but look, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I know you're not going to watch this, but I'm pumped. Absolutely not. I mean, you know me. I've not watched <laughs> The Walking Dead since Negan killed Glenn. However long ago that was, I'm out. I'm all the way out. But I see the appeal. They had beef. <laughs> well done. I um, yeah, I yeah. do I do see the appeal, and it's good to hear that the um the Daryl uh Daryl Dixon. It's good to hear that show was was good, and yeah, there's just so much Walking Dead. Anyway, my. Number two, anyway. is, <laughs> I've got nothing else to say about the Walking ah, Dead. My number two is a cartoon that I am excited about, and it's coming to Disney Plus, X-Men 97. It Ooh. is a revival of X-Men, the animated series, continuing from where that series ends. I'm so excited to get Cal Dodd back as Wolverine. Yes, Hugh Jackman is live-action Wolverine, and we all love him. But when I read X-Men comics, Wolverine, to me, sounds like Cal Dodd. I'm so excited. <laughs> but this show That's coming cool. back, never thought in a million years it would happen. I've even got some merch. I've got a Lego Wolverine construction figure. You know those big figures, you put it all together. Lots of fun. Right, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I got it. Because it's X-Men 97 merch. And there's pops coming out. So the collectibles are coming. Uh, we don't have an exact release date. We just know it's coming later this year. But very excited for that. That is one to definitely keep on the radar. And, and yeah, how exciting to get those, those 90s Marvel animated shows. Like, they were, I don't know, they were peak. Like, they were just they were real. Really good. good. And there's... There's probably more than people realise because it's not just X-Men and Spider-Man. We got a complete season of Silver Surfer, which was a spin-off yeah. from the Fantastic Four series. We had Incredible Hulk, 
Iron Man, and all these shows shared a continuity. Oh, man, they were great. They were really good 90s animated series. Great. I thought they were doing it. They were doing it before we were... Well, they did in the comics, so it didn't really make any difference. Um, all right, my number one is... This has no right being here, but do you know what? I'm excited, so get off my back. Cobra Kai Season 6. Oh, at least I think wow. At least I think it's coming out in 2024. That's what they're saying. But It I mean, must be because... It must be. They're, they're, they're doing stuff. They're, they're making stuff, they? they're making that new movie this year. So surely, I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that's meant to come out this year also. But um, I mean, you guys should know what this is. This is the martial arts comedy drama series. Is it a comedy? No, no, it doesn't matter. Um, a sequel to the original Karate Kid films. Um, and as it has been since its third season, uh, season six will be released on Netflix. This show's fantastic. You know, like Ralph Macchio, William Zapka reprising their roles as Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence. Um, you know, it's all about Johnny reopening the, the Cobra Kai Karate Dojo, rekindling that old rivalry with, with Daniel and a whole lot of drama and bullshit happening on the way, but it's lots of fun. There's something about this show that is just so fun. You got to the end of season six and hopefully I'm not, Spoiling too much here, but you know, like this, or the end of season five, sorry, but season six is going to be dealing with you know the aftermath of I'll just say that character's arrest, the um, you know, the shutting down of the Cobra Kai dojo, the rekindling of all those teenage relationships and stuff, um, and you know, the escape of that one character, you know, faked his death now on the run again, trying to avoid all the spoilers you haven't watched it, but. Just like, where does this? Yeah, what happens next? I Bring think it on, and I think most people have seen it. Tied up. Yeah, yeah, most people have seen it, and I, I love it. I absolutely love this show. I'm a fan of the original Cracked movies, and yeah, this show is great. Yes, it still doesn't have an official release date, but yeah, it is coming out sometime this year. My number one is The Penguin, starring Colin Farrell, reprising his role of Oswald Cobblepot from the Batman movie. So this is that interesting thing where we're going to get the Matt Reeves movies, but then on TV, we're going to get this shared continuity. This is a prequel story. Loved the Batman. And just having a weekly TV series set in that world, we, you know, the cast reprising their roles, and the Batman 2 looks likely to begin production this year, the sequel to the massively successful The Batman from 2022. And that's more than likely going to be marketed as the first Elseworlds movie. So there's a lot to get excited about there. But yes, The Penguin, looking forward to that. Yeah, look, that that first The Batman film, absolutely fantastic. And everything you said about the, the Penguin character and... You know, Colin's performance, all of that, fantastic. I kind of, I'll admit, I kind of forgot this show was coming out. Like, it's completely off my radar, but that's a great reminder for me that it's coming. Um, is the Batman 2 coming this year as well? Or is that? Well, it's looking to begin production this year. So we're not going to get sure, it this year, sure. but we're going to get... Well, we'll have the Penguin, yes. so we'll be able to re-enter that world and, and go from there, which is which is fantastic. So, yeah, great choice. So that's going to keep us going, and I'm hoping most Max content, because that's what it is, 
we get it on binge here in Australia. So I'm hoping that's where the I penguin just, is going to be. As, as long as we get it somewhere, that just doesn't really doesn't matter. Unless you don't have the streaming service that it comes on. But um, you know, we'll, we'll get it somehow. It will be available, of course it will. <laughs> okay, well, that's it for TV. So the rest of this show is going to be movies. And we're going to start, I know that it's a audio medium. We're going to start with the best movie poster of 2023. <laughs> we'll do our best to describe it to you. <laughs> Close your eyes, use your imaginations. Let's go. Um, I'm going to go with... I just loved the the one I've chosen. Um, I just love the old school, what it reminds me of, a better time when movie posters actually meant something and looked well and they put effort into um, not just making them crazy, but like just just cool, you know? I'm talking like, now it's not uh, a Drew Struzman poster. It's uh, a poster by Tony Stella, but the clear inspirations, the emulation of, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the emulation of the Struzman artwork on the theatrical poster for Dial of Destiny. It's all it's all there. Like it's it just does what it needs to do for an Indiana Jones movie. It reminds me of those better times of movie posters. It works for this franchise, these sets of films. Um, you know, the Indiana Jones posters have have been fantastic because they've been <laughs> those Struzman uh, pieces of art. Um, and again, this one, not a Struzman, but has the has the look, feel, the vibes, uh, has those tones. Um, it just works. So as I was looking for various posters to be like, which one am I going to pick? What have I got? Oh, you know, that one's pretty crazy. Oh, that's a, you know, clever little design, whatever it might be. I just found myself gravitating towards that eye catching up. You know what? I just liked it. I liked when they released it. it. Made me feel nice. Got me excited about the movie. I was like, yeah, cool. It looked like we're re-entering that world and um, to, like a safe place, if that, if that makes sense. I'm not going to really explain the poster. I mean, it's it's Harrison Ford looking like you know Indiana Jones supporting characters. I don't know. I think there's a car at the bottom, maybe a little bit of an explosion sort of somewhere. Like, hey, you know, it's it's cool. It's all brownie and grainy. Cool, it's great. You know what I'm talking about. I do, yeah. It's a it's a great poster. I yes. knew I knew what <laughs> it was straight away as soon as you said the artist's name. Because yeah, it is a <laughs> great poster and the views is artwork on Disney Plus as well. Yeah, it is great art, and you're right, it's got that pulp adventure feel to it. it yeah, it is. It's a great classic. You explained poster. it better literally with those two words, pulp adventure. Thank you. Okay. There you go. Done. There you go. <laughs> Well, that's that's uh, that's your pick, and we're both going to pick one each. I've picked two, and there's a reason what? why. <laughs> there's a reason why. Hang on, hang on. I've, no, listen. There's a reason why I picked two, right? Because I'm going. I only want to use one, and I thought, well, it is a 2023 movie, but then I saw this afternoon. Is it a set? <laughs> no, I saw this afternoon. That the release date here in Australia was New Year's Day. Elsewhere, sorry, sorry you cut out there at least for me, so I don't know what you were saying. I did you see a unstable? Ah, oh, I don't know. If, yeah, it came up. Uh, internet is unstable. Okay, seems okay though. And I'm recording on my side. 
and I was talking. Yeah, so should be, just repeat it because I don't. I literally don't know what you said. I don't even know what you're talking about yet. So <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. Everywhere else in the world, this movie was released. I think everywhere else in the world was released last year, 2023. So it qualifies, but here in Australia. I didn't realise until doing last minute prep this afternoon, I saw that it was actually released New Year's Day. Ooh. Does it qualify? I mean, again, it's just Ooh. what we got it here in Australia. But there was probably like early screenings. I think it should count. I do have a backup. Uh, what movie is that we talking about? Me. I've not told you, have I? Well, I want to wait. Yeah. And know if, I want to wait and see if I can use it first. I do have a backup, but I would really no, like to use this one. If it was released somewhere in the world. Oh yeah, like you know, in in the US, I think UK. Anyway, so it's absolutely it, it is a 2023 movie. But then I saw release date Australia, first of January this year. I thought, and then oh, I suppose, to be fair, the posters would have definitely have been out and about and really featured probably okay. in 2023. I'm sure. So I'm gonna do it. We're right? all, I think we're okay, okay. Okay. So my my favorite poster of the year. <laughs> Uh, there's it's quite a lot going on. I was going to say it's, there's not as much going on as your pick, but there is actually. There's lots going on in this poster. It's for the movie Dream Scenario, starring oh, Nicolas okay. Cage. The poster was designed by River Cousin, and there is a lot going on in this poster. Nicolas Cage stars as an unsuspecting man who becomes the fascination of the collective subconsciousness and subsequently gets cancelled for appearing in hundreds of people's dreams. The nightmare on Elm Street aspect of Cage's presence is hinted at in the poster and captures four different rooms, but only one of which contains the real character. It's a very intricate Poster. When I first saw it, I thought I was looking at like a kid's dollhouse. But it, it's that's it. Yes, that, that looks okay. Like you it. you know the one, but in each I know the one poster, Nicolas Cage is in there. And honestly, I watched this a couple of days ago. This is a good film, and I wanted to talk about it somewhere. And going back and looking at the poster, I thought this is a good opportunity to do so. What a year for Nicolas Cage! You know, in a in that opening mentioned Renfield where he plays Dracula and here he is in this, like he's, he's fantastic in this movie. And the poster really sums up the movie, but it's one of those where I'd seen the poster like most before watching the movie and you just look at the poster. And then after you've seen the film, the poster has got a completely different meaning because you actually see, ah, oh, that's actually the, the movie is on the poster. It's a really, really clever design. I'm going to try not to think too much about the post. Like I know the exact one um, because it did cross my, when I was like trying to research a whole bunch of posters, uh, I'm going to try not to think about it too much because when I do eventually watch the movie, I want to sort of, <laughs> not have, I guess not have anything spoiled if it's on yeah, the poster. So, yeah. Like, so don't, don't, I guess I'll stop talking don't about it. it too much. I'll stop talking about um, it. Don't look at the poster again before you watch the movie, but it is a stellar performance from cage and what he's doing as this character there's so many different ranges of emotions and cage can just do it all it can be quiet we all know he can be big you know we've all seen face off we've all seen these big performances but it can really go small with this performance It, it is a fantastic film it's like drama then it's horror there's so much going on there's genuine uh 
like comedy in there as well. It's bloody fantastic. If you go to the A24 website and you click on the shop, you can buy a dream scenario sleep mask. And if you're wondering what that is, it's essentially <laughs> Nicolas Cage's eyes. <laughs> it's a sleep wow. mask. Yeah, man. Yeah. Anyway, merch. I mean, how much? <laughs> like $15 US. Okay. Is it postage? Like, ah, then I'll cost you know. extra. Anyway, I don't work for A24. <laughs> I'm just plugging their product. Well, that's uh, that's our pick. <laughs> that's our picks for best movie poster. Uh, now on to oh, hang on. Now on to best movie score theme music of twenty twenty three. Okay, so. I like when I get this category because I'm always like, look, there, there's, there are fantastic scores out there. There's like musical geniuses doing their craft, making things. And then I look back and I'm like, which music, which soundtrack, you know, soundtrack, whether it's score or actual songs or whatever, what did I listen to the most on Spotify throughout the year after a movie came out? And I found myself realizing that I'd listened to this quite a bit. The Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, soundtrack i know i'm crazy uh, but this is composer brian tyler doing doing wonderful stuff here um he worked closely with longtime mario composer koji kondo to incorporate themes from the games like you, you hear that throughout the movie it just transports you to to those mario games like that mario world with all the little tunes and da 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 um you, you know it's all He's bringing in like a full on orchestra to give it that theatrical feel, the, the choir, the bands. Um, I was reading up on it. He, he was actually using Italian instruments, accordions, live drums, uh, mandolins, um, and use elements of whistling human voices as well to sort of, I don't know, make a make it sort of dream esque kind of things. There's even hints of like eight bit sounds throughout. So he's really taking that game inspiration. I found myself like in listening to the soundtrack over and over again, um, I really honed in on the the medley track, which is titled Level Complete, which um, plays over the end credits. Uh, you know, it's got all the different little Mario tunes or it comes together, um, many different Mario themes and stuff. Like, just, it's great. Uh, on top of that, so the score's fantastic. Lots of Mar Mario nostalgia there, tunes, all that. Very theatrical, great. But then there's also songs, like songs from Jack Black and Keegan-Michael Key, which were improvised for the film. Now, of course, we know Jack Black um, co-writing the song Peaches, oh, where classic. Bowser professes his love <laughs> for Princess Peach. Uh, he wrote that alongside the directors Aaron Horvath and Michael Jelenic, editor Eric Osmond, and song producer John Spiker. And... You know, when it comes to like songs in music or, you know, like original songs or, or whatever, if it's just a song, you know, like, which is essentially a piece of marketing that played over the credits or, you know, becomes like a background thing, you know, that's, that's great. It's a nice little song, whatever. This is a song incorporated into the movie. It's, it's character driven. It's actually a part of the story. You know, like it's a relevant part of the actual film, like the movie itself and catchy as all hell. 
we're still humming it and and singing along with it now. Jack Black is insane. I love it. Um, and you know what? I wanted to talk about. I should show my hand a little bit when we get to the kids animated stuff. I did want to talk about the Mario Brothers movie in some part, and I figured this was the best way because it didn't quite make my top list, but it's a fantastic movie. Nostalgia trip. I just wish the story was a little bit tighter, but the music is fantastic, and it just creates. It's a big part of creating that that world and bringing it all together. And I need to breathe, so you can talk. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with all of that. I mean, yeah, what an impact. Uh, the music from this movie and yeah jack black i mean we all love jack black and that song peaches like if my kids are grabbing peaches from the fruit bowl it's <laughs> it's involuntary at this point i just sing peaches yeah they like, don't it used like to be it. like used to, what was that song it was like millions of peaches yeah peaches. yeah it used to be that. All, now no more now it's peaches peaches, peaches. Yeah, peaches. It's, yeah we're not gonna do it we can't do it just it's changed like, it's, um, <laughs> it's fantastic and i thought for sure that was going to be the song from a movie that i was going to love the most and it ended up being number two number one for me and it might be because i've got daughters and i've seen this movie heaps and oh whenever we're in the car the soundtrack is on my number one pick is Barbie the album, which is not something I thought I would be saying. <laughs> Best track it, from man. the album by far is I'm Just Ken, uh, performed by Ryan Gosling, fantastic in the movie, and the song is great. And I'm not sure if you saw the clip. You probably did, <laughs> but... I'm Just Ken won Best Song at the 29th Critics' Choice Awards, and the look on... Ryan Gosling's face when he heard his name called was amazing. Or he heard the song uh, get picked <laughs> for the top. Oh, it was just such a moment. I've watched that clip over and over, but the soundtrack start to finish, like not all the tracks work for me, but my kids love it. Like, so, you know, you've got Billie Eilish, uh, What Was I Made For? I mean, that won the award for best original song at the Golden Globes. Uh, it's great film. And a really good good soundtrack. I think in previous years, I've gone for a score. But saying that, I think last year I picked Top Gun Maverick, which was both score and music. Mm. But yeah, Barbie the album, it is a good soundtrack, a very good soundtrack. No, I'm, I'm there with you. Like, like a good assortment of songs, like they're fun, they're energetic, they have the vibe that the movie needs and, and you know leans into. Like That's just like lots of energy, very bright dancey you know poppy but then those songs like and especially like you mentioned like the uh what's it called am i good enough or i'm good enough whatever and i'm just can like i'm just can yeah much like the much like the peaches song you know like these are songs that aren't just hey it's it's playing in the background what characters dancing to it like these are characters singing these songs they're it's a part of the like it's telling the story of what's happened like there it's an integral part of the movie like it's it's an important element it's a good point them. actually both and they work yeah both peaches and i'm just ken like, it is a moment in the movie it's not just a song that plays over the end credits my my dream my uh, in recent times and i'm not sure if they've already announced i think because i did some categories for the oscars already i'm not sure if all the best songs have been picked but my dream is to see like uh, like Ryan Gosling as as Ken and Jack Black dressed as Bowser doing like 
uh, a song dance off with those two songs. Oh, that would Wouldn't be amazing. That be fantastic. Yeah, that would I mean, be worth they, the price of admissions to the Oscars. They are both singers. <laughs> you know, they are both singers. So it would be, it would be interesting. It'd yeah, be to fun, see. wouldn't it? Yeah, no, it, it, it really would be. But honestly, I love Jab Black. I really do. Him, Cal Gas, Tenacious D, Black's movies, all of that. But I would love to see Ryan Gosling at the Academy Awards performing I'm Just Ken Live. That would be incredible. One more thing on it before we move on. The song has over 70 million streams on Spotify and over 3 million views on YouTube. That is... And they're, they're all from you. I get it, yeah. That's... <laughs> <laughs> they're all from me. Okay, so now on to most overrated movie of 2023. We've been far too positive so far. <laughs> let's let's shove some movies into the dirt let's do it let's start um this is an interesting one because like i'll be honest there wasn't too many movies that i watched in 2023 that i was like man this kind of sucks and it didn't have the rest of the world pretty much agree with me. <laughs> like most movies that were shit in my opinion generally were rated shit didn't do well at the box office, that kind of stuff so i was like all right cool i seem to be in tune with the rest of the world awesome except for this movie the Little Mermaid, the live action, <laughs> this musical romantic fantasy film, the live action adaption of the, what year is it, 1989, that animated Disney film of the same name, you know the one, Ariel, red hair, green tail, familiar. all that kind I'm of familiar. stuff. familiar. Yep, that one. <laughs> this live action one directed by Rob Marshall, God bless you. Um, you know, we see Princess, we see Mermaid Princess Ariel played by Halle Bailey, played quite well. Oh, I'll add, but um, who's fascinated with the human world after saving Prince Eric, who's played by Jonah Hua King from a shipwreck, makes a deal with the sea witch Ursula, who's played by Melissa McCarthy, who's, I'll admit, probably the best part of the movie, to um, walk on land. Um, there's so much about this. Look, there's, there's decent performances, but it just felt... It felt cheap. There was camera work in this that just stressed me out and annoyed me. Like, it was filmed like... It was like they were doing a stage play, but not in a creative way. Like, literally, uh, it felt cheap and boring. And there were ca camera movements for no reason. Like, oh, I just go back to when we first meet Prince Eric on that ship. And I'm like, what is this? Why Why is this happening? Um, everything they do in this movie, there's no real reason why this movie kind of needed to exist. And I know we can say that about a lot of movies, but it's like this didn't this didn't elevate that animated movie in any sort of way. Um, there's, I don't know, there's just so much that I just disliked about this movie, but the world seemed to like it. It was the ninth highest grossing film of 2023. It brought in 569.6 million at the box office. Rotten Tomatoes has it sitting at 67%. That's based on like 300 plus critic reviews. It's an average of 6.3 out of 10. Metacritic gives it 59 out of 100, which I know sounds still pretty average, but I'm like, not way too high. IMDb, 7.2 out of 10, uh, based on 150,000 ratings. I mean, what the hell? And CinemaScore sits it at A out of an A plus to F scale. Like, I just honestly do not understand. Um, yeah, I don't know. I know you said that you had taken your girls to to watch this or took one of them to watch it or something not and... my not my eldest my 
youngest. Um, she wanted to see it. Originally, we were going to go and watch together Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and she was all set to do it because it was something we were going to watch together. And then she was talking <laughs> about how, you know, friends at school, they yeah. were going to be going to watch The Little Mermaid. I said to her, like, hey, you know, I, I feel like you're watching Spider-Man for me, so would you like to watch The Little Mermaid? And she said yes, and she did. So we watched it. And I hated it, so that is why <laughs> I have picked it as my most overrated movie of 2023. All the points that you made, people seem to like really? it. Really? Yeah, man. That is it's amazing. It's, it that is, is amazing. It is my pick. <laughs> so I felt like I had the baggage going great. in. I had the baggage going in of really wanting to see Spider-Man with my kid, but at the same time... <laughs> You're just disgruntled Thinking, the whole time anyway. Yeah, yeah. But a little bit bitter, a little bit bitter, a bit resentful. In the moment, she liked it or not, it's hit Disney Plus. I'm like, hey, do you maybe want to see it again? Do you want to see it with your sister? She's not seen it. Your mum's not seen it. Nobody in the house wants to watch it. <laughs> she doesn't want to see it again. Her sister doesn't want to watch it. But it's, it's done well enough. But it's one of those things where he's... Is it because like audiences who are fans of the 89 movie that are just going to see this movie? I'm gonna I was gonna say it doesn't need to exist, where financially for Disney it's a very good thing that it does exist because it's done very well for them and, yeah. <laughs> and they needed that. <laughs> they needed that yeah. But this this movie, man, yeah, Rotten Tomatoes 67 percent you know, and what the uh, hell? audiences, <laughs> you know, Haley Berry. Is outstanding in The Little Mermaid. And most of the other new additions to this version of the story hit the mark as well. That's what audiences are saying. The critics' consensus, while Halle, we've Halle Berry, no, is it Haley or Halle? Haley? Haley. With Haley Bailey making a major splash in the title role, Disney's live action Little Mermaid ranks among the studio's most enjoyable reimaginings. Disagree, but okay. So, yeah, so that is why it is our shared most overrated movie. That is amazing. I want to high-five you through the screen. Okay. Um, But, I mean, look, I I look at this movie, and I'm like, like I said, like, Halle Bailey and um, Melissa McCarthy, look, performances are actually decent there, but everybody else, every other actor, just the, the, the performances just seem really shit. Like, they're just not actually that good. Um. Oh, the songs. Like, the, all the new songs, I hated them. A lot of the, the new versions of the songs that we know didn't really enjoy them. I'm like, oh, that, that's a creative choice that didn't really, didn't really work. I mean, again, the, the, like Halle Bailey's performances and her singing skills, I'm like, not good. But what they're doing with the songs is in, like, changing tempos and changing some lyrics. I'm like, nah, like, it's, it's not really working. And the CGI, man, like... You're gonna do a live action movie. What is the point if if the majority of it is just gonna be CGI and, and it's not even gonna be high level that it's gonna end up looking pretty animated anyway? I'm just like, what is the point? What it's is just, the damn point? Yeah, is it's it's an animated classic, you know. So you know, eighty nine, early nineties, we got you know the Lion King, we got Aladdin, and then there was quite a period of time before Disney in animation was really having big hits again. And of course it did happen again, but there was a time where it kind of ended with The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, The Lion King. So 
Aladdin, you know, the Guy Ritchie movie, I liked enough. Lion King, you know, the John Favreau movie, you know, that that was good. But this one, it just completely, it fell flat for me. And and again, like, you know, we're two guys, you know, <laughs> it's like. Mate, I can, I can love me a princess movie. Like, don't know, get me wrong. Like, no, I'm but what I'm. But what I'm what I mean by that is we're two older guys, so it's like we've hmm. got our Little Mermaid, we've got our Aladdin, Lion King, <laughs> whatever. You know, we watched them at the age, really liked them, and still like them to this day. So, really, what I think should be happening with this new Little Mermaid movie is modern audiences, like young kids now, watch it, and that be like, oh, this is our Little Mermaid. I really want to watch it. It didn't happen for my kid. It just right, didn't happen. Point. Whether she likes the original from 89. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's brighter. It's, she has red hair. My God, the red hair. I'm like, what are they doing? They're just trying to, that's sad. Well, that's our most overrated movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd like to say it was a shorter round because we picked the same movie, but we probably still <laughs> went as long as we would have with two. <laughs> Separately. And we have the right to do so. We had a lot so. to say. So now <laughs> on to most underrated movie of 2023. Oh man, if we pick the same, that'll be that'll be pretty cool. Um, I'm going for a science fiction action film. Um, maybe you might be able to pick it. This one's directed by Gareth Edwards, the creator. Nope. Got it. Um, that, that's not your pick. <laughs> no, I, I thought you were going to give a longer lead in. I didn't realize you were going to say the creator. I thought you were going to. Oh, I didn't allude. actually want you to guess, but no. Oh, okay. That's, that's my bad. That's <laughs> All good. Um, set in 2070, 15 years after a nuclear de- detonation in Los Angeles that started a war against artificial intelligence, um, an ex special forces agent who's played fantastically by John David Washington is recruited to hunt down and kill the creator who has developed a mysterious weapon with the power to end the war. This movie is beautiful. Like it's, it's a bit long, it's a bit long winded. Um, but you know, like there's emotional beats in this where I'm actually like, Oh man, I care so much for these characters. What is happening? Like it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, this movie really works. Um, it's gorgeous to look at uh, a budget of about 80 million wits in the in the grand scheme of things and what you're looking at on screen. You're thinking, wow, like what they achieved visually on that budget is very impressive. And it just goes to show maybe maybe some studios are spending a lot of money on, on movies where they really don't need to be. Um, but again, yeah, this movie looks visually fantastic. Um, it's a nice little story. There's some really, you know, nice work with the characters and some intimate stuff when it comes to just like you know it's heartbreaking it, it's it ultimately becomes a story about like family um at the end of it and you know there's you know there's nice stuff there but look it only grossed 104 million on a budget of 80 so look the reviews and stuff are positive so it's not like people are sitting here being like oh no this movie is rubbish it's no good like reviews are positive but nobody watched it like no one went out and and paid money for it you know it's on disney plus now but it just didn't it didn't strike a chord with people to be like hey look, and look maybe it came down to the marketing maybe it came down to other things um i can't recall potentially this was released during actor strike maybe or maybe it was before so that might not be an excuse but either way this movie deserved to have made a bit more of an impact at the at the box office because it's uh it's it's one of the 
it's one of the better movies of the year. Like it's pretty decent. And again, visually striking, so good. I thought it was fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what you've yeah. said there, I mean, the, the look of the movie, the fact that that was the budget is incredible. And I'm with you. When you've got a movie like The Flash costing over $300 million and <laughs> yeah. Gareth Edwards is doing this for this movie, I, I was looking forward to it, really looking forward to it. Missed it at the movies. With it being a 20th century studios movie i knew it was coming to disney plus i waited and that's where i watched it and i know people are doing that with pixar you know disney people know they don't have to see it in the cinemas they can wait to see it at home so maybe that is part of what's happening with the box office because with the marketing on this movie the tv spots the uh, the theatrical trailers at the movies they went hard like getting ready for this movie, everywhere you looked, it was the creator. Like you couldn't help but see ads for this movie, but it wasn't enough to get people to the movies for the box office. I mean, did you see this in cinemas or did you watch it on Disney Plus? I mean, look, part of the problem I watched this on Disney Plus. Um... <laughs> but we know <laughs> that's that's where they're going. Like you know, Taika Waititi's new movie, Next Goal Wins, currently at the cinemas couple of months we know it's going to be on disney plus so mm. i do love the cinema experience i really do but can't get to the movies to watch every film so there's certain ones where i'm like i'm gonna let that one through the net pun intended because i can just watch it at home i can watch it in the comfort of my home and i can spend the money i would have spent on that ticket on another movie that isn't necessarily gonna be available for streaming as quick as a 20th century studios movie but the creator again fine not a bad movie visually fantastic the story i just i don't know that when i saw the trailers i'm like wow this looks amazing and then i watched the film and maybe you know you mentioned the runtime it did feel a little bit long but it's why you put it in this category as an underrated movie because not <laughs> everybody loved it see absolutely qualifies now my pick i don't even know if you've even seen it operation fortune ruse de guerre i think that's pronunciation it stands for it's yeah. it means war in in french the guy ritchie movie starring jason statham you know if people listen to this show they know i am a fan of jason statham and it's not just jason statham in this movie Hugh Grant, who last worked with Richie on The Gentleman, which is bloody fantastic. We've got Josh Hartnett here, who I recently um, saw in the movie Lucky Number Slevin. I've not seen that since it first came out. It's currently on Prime Video. That's a recommend. Great film. But the movie Operation Fortune is fantastic. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Um, it's, yeah, it's on my list. Uh, and I guess very fitting uh for me to be again part of the problem that this movie hasn't like done as well because i haven't watched it <laughs> and i'm everyone not only recommending it obviously not only have i seen it i've seen it twice since it came out Ooh. honestly it is so much fun if you're unfamiliar 
Elite spy Orson Fortune must track down and stop the sale of a deadly new weapons technology wielded by billionaire arms broker Greg Simmons. That is the Hugh Grant character. Reluctantly teamed up with some of the world's best operatives, Fortune and his crew recruit Hollywood's biggest movie star, Danny Francesco, played brilliantly by Josh Hartnett, to help them on their globe-trotting mission to save the world. I'm really liking what Guy Ritchie is doing at the moment. You know, we talked before about the live-action Aladdin movie. That was a different change of pace for him. And then, you know, 2023, not only did he have this movie, he had the movie The Covenant, the war movie starring Jake Gyllenhaal. He's got other things in the pipeline. And he's got the Netflix spin-off series of The Gentleman coming this year as well. But this is a good, very good, even, Jason Statham movie. Looking at Rotten Tomatoes, it is 51%. It's better than that, people. Come on. It's a really good <laughs> film. And what a year for Jason Statham. Like, Meg to the Trench, not as good as that first movie, but there's an awesome movie. His character kicks a bad guy into the mouth of a giant shark and says, see you later, chum. In the Expendables 4, his character Lee Christmas, he's chasing down a bad guy and he says, come here, you cheeky little sausage. I'm just here <laughs> for Jason Statham. So like three good films that he put out this year. And you haven't seen it yet, but one of our first movie reviews of 2024 will be The Beekeeper. Starring Jason Statham. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the very excellent line delivered, full full pun force. Um, God, oh, for it. Um, honestly, man, this is one great. where there's so many TV spots for the beekeeper. It's absolutely everywhere. And I'm chatting to people at work and they're like, never heard of it. How have you never heard of it? There's posters everywhere. There's ads everywhere. And the tagline, vengeance has a sting. But I'll... Um, <laughs> I'm not getting to it because we will do a full review of the beekeeper. As you can tell, I am excited. But um, yeah, Operation Fortune, that is my pick for most underrated movie. So now on to best kids animated family movie of 2023. All right. And we're we're only doing two of these, um, but I want to do a sneak. I didn't tell you I was doing this. We've got a sneaky honorable mention. Won't get into it, but. Elemental, directed by Steve Asson, um, Pixar, Disney, fantastic, beautiful little movie, but didn't make my top two, so that aside. Um, my number two choice, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, um, animated superhero film, obviously based on the Ninja Turtles characters, who we, we know is created by Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman. This this is a reboot of the Ninja Turtles film series. Um, directed by Jeff Rowe, uh, you know the turtles: Donatella, Michelangelo, Leonardo, Raphael. Raphael, sorry. Um, they go on a hunt for a mysterious crime syndicate and face an army of mutants. The story explores themes of family, acceptance, and conformity. The uh, sort of like you know, like when we first saw you know, Into the Spider Verse, the animation in this is. Similar, but like very different, but also still just like breaking that traditional mold 
of what we expect animated films to look like. There's like this rough sketchness to it all. Um, so just animation-wise, like a beautiful-looking film. The the characterization of the teenage, the teenage Ninja Turtles is is great. Like just going into this world, like actually having these uh, having young actors voice these characters and talk and speak uh, in such a real way that it's like wow yeah they, they sound like kids they sound like kids interacting it just really like created a different sense of what we'd seen previously with with the ninja turtles and the interpretation like it felt like a coming of age movie and it really was and then you've just got all these like really disgusting crazy mutant villain characters some of them become good guys and the Superfly thing, like a fantastic voice cast. Jackie Chan as Splinter. John Cena as Rocksteady. Seth Rogen as Bebop. Ice Cube as Superfly. Um, it's, it was great. Like I had a delightful time. It's a short, I think it's like 80 something minutes. It's a short movie, but it, it does what it needs to do. Um, and I just remember having a fantastic time and I've revisited it since it's, um, you know, hit streaming and stuff like that. But, Tried to show the the three year old, but unfortunately, it did get a little bit dark and freaky for him. So I had to turn it off because he didn't like it. <laughs> but he loves the turtles now because of this movie. He likes the first half of this movie. Yeah, I thought Turtles was fantastic. Yeah, I mentioned you know in our shout outs at the at the beginning there that Nathan, who has been on a few episodes of late of Sounds Like Comics, is a massive Turtles fan. Still hasn't seen this movie. He's really Why? put off. What? He's put off by, I guess he doesn't like how they sound. And it's like, mate, for the first time in the history of the franchise, they sound like teenagers. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I, I don't know. I, I, can, I, can, I was going to say I can kind of see where it's going from, but I can't really. I just think it works on. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it, really it works is. on every level. And you mentioned that runtime, which it's really punchy. My youngest, you know, we went to the movies and this was the first time she ever watched anything to do with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I thought, what a great introduction to these characters. The movie did such a good job. I thought it was fantastic. You know, we're going to get that TV series that ties in with, you know, the the guys that voice the turtles, reprising their role for that Paramount Plus show. And then we're going to get a sequel so we get, we're going to get some more time in this world, but the movie's great. It hasn't hit Disney Plus yet. You can watch a trailer for it on Disney Plus. So it's only a matter of time, so I haven't Maybe seen it that second time yet. Paramount, I believe. Yeah, Paramount Plus. So if you search the movie, all it has on there at the moment is the trailer. Right. So it'll be coming soon. It will be coming soon, um, and I will absolutely watch it again when it's available. My second pick is Super Mario Brothers, and you've talked about it already when talking about yeah, nice. <laughs> the music. Uh, we could it talk about, uh, you know, Jack Black, you know, Peaches, all of that. Got lot, I think we've done that. That's a lot of fun. The movie <laughs> just works. Like, watched it on the big screen, watched it again at home with the family, and that second viewing worked just as well as that first viewing. Yeah, I think you mentioned issues with the story when we did our full review, but for me, it just works. And when it comes to the story, like I know Super Mario Brothers, most people do. The movie 
really worked as just a fun kids movie. Good experience that first time and worked again with with that second viewing. It just it's a fun movie. I had a lot of fun watching it, so therefore it's my number two. What is your number one? Um, look, I'm gonna admit that I kind of cheated here a little bit um in putting in this movie in this category. I the movie I've chosen, right, is is probably one of the best movies of 2023 but i figured if i could get away with putting it in this category it allowed me to have extra ones in when we do get to our our top three um i'm giving this to wonka and again I, it qualifies as as kids so i get to talk about it i get to high praise it um but just just side note it potentially was it's it's potentially in the top three of of just movies in general but i thought i'd put it here directed by paul king um, and look, this was a this was a late addition to the 2023 film calendar. The uh, this musical fantasy film tells the origin story of Willy Wonka. We know this character from the um, I think I wrote this year down wrong. I wrote 1864, but it might be the 1964 novel Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Rodile, um, featuring his <laughs> early days as a chocolatier. Definitely not 1864, right? No, um, it's not like that. No, the film stars it can't be. <laughs> uh, Timothy Chalamet as the title character um, with an ensemble cast, which includes uh, Kala Lane, Keegan-Michael Key, Patterson Joseph, Matt Lucas, Matthew Bainton, Sally Hawkins, Rowan Atkinson, Jim Carter, Olivia Coleman, and Hugh Grant. Heaps more. When we did our review, we mentioned it was like a who's who of like British comedians and actors and all sorts. It's crazy. Um, but look, this movie is absolutely beautiful. Like, um, I, I mean, I said it in our review. Like the, it, it more so like the way the movie actually just made me feel like just watching it and just having, just the feel of joy and just happiness and a little bit of escapism and just like the the fun energy even the villains in the movie you know like you know they're they're sniveling bad guys but at the same time like they're bubbly and energetic and they just have this like brightness to them that this movie overall tone you know even if it's in its darkest bits is is just a very light fluffy and i say that in the in the best way like it's it's a great movie the the music is good. The performances by the characters. Chalamet does a fantastic job as Wonka, um, and the uh, like I mentioned in our review, like you get to the end of the movie, and I was so close to shedding a tear of of just like the beautiful scene where uh, we shouldn't get into spoilers, but you know, with the, there's stuff with his mom and you know, stuff with chocolate, and if you've watched it, you know what I'm talking about. But the the message that the movie sort of doing there the stuff with the reuniting with that other character's mom and then leading into the pure imagination song and all of that and just the wackiness of it all as well is 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 just crazy like they pulled it off you know we've got the director of the paddington movies so you, you're getting that magic injected into into the the world of willy wonka and it's just it's a, a perfect match um so yeah this movie is is fantastic. Just fantastic. I just want to remind you the name of this category. Best Kids Animated Family Movie. And you've picked Wonka. And do you know what? 
That's why I also picked Wonka as number one. It absolutely, <laughs> it absolutely qualifies. You know, I think when we first started doing year in review, I think we both got caught up in the animated part. Well, <laughs> we, it was back when Pixar movies were like, yeah, king. yeah, <laughs> that's so it. But it had to be Wonka. I, I honestly, I didn't even. Give it a second thought. I mean, we yeah. fairly recently reviewed Wonka, and I'll say it here. We both gave it five out of five. Yeah. For us not to pick it, like anywhere, like in the number one spot would be criminal. And I thought this category will would be the best place to acknowledge it. But yeah, for all the points that you've made, it is just a fantastic family movie. Like it really is, you know, the songs, the comedy the British cast, you know, all of it, the look of this movie, absolutely love it. And one that I'm very much looking forward to again, but that that's twice. Now we've picked the same movie. That's a, well, well, there, we, there we go. My question though, if we didn't have this, this kids animated family category, we just had to pick a top three. Would this have made it into your top three? I would have maybe had to push out my number three, which I really don't want <laughs> I, to do. <laughs> I feel the same. So, again, I, I guess just full disclosure, we are using this category to give us more <laughs> picks. <laughs> when it comes to best movies of the year, number one and number two, I'm fairly confident looking back, are five-star reviews, whereas number right, three maybe wasn't. But I love it, and we're not there yet. But maybe anyway, Wonka works where it is. Let's uh, let's keep (laughs) Wonka there. Well, we've been positive for a while, so let's uh, let's now do worst movies of twenty twenty three, and we'll pick three each. Yeah, back to negativity. This is where we get to have a bit of fun, light light hearted fun though. Let's not a and again. The the disclaimer we, we make is that, like, look, we haven't watched every movie, and I can't speak for you, but, I mean, I try to avoid movies that I think, objectively, are going to be quite crap. <laughs> so what sometimes, usually... though, movies that weren't necessarily on either of our radars get put yeah. on there because we're doing it for the podcast. So sometimes well, I'll be like, hey, true. let's review this thing, and you're like, well, I wasn't going to watch it, but I'll, I'll yeah, give it a and, go. So sometimes. Like, and then... I have a tally of every time you've wronged me in this department and I'll get my revenge one day. I mean, you're um, right, though. Right. We haven't seen every film, but I, I messaged you earlier that I did a tally of the movies that I did watch that were released. Oh, unhealthy in, number. That were released in 2023, and that number is 138. So That's of 100... That's all... That's more than I've watched in total of movies. <laughs> like just well, just you said what you said one thirty. So of one hundred and thirty-eight movies, I'm going to give my top thirty or my bottom three. Yeah, should like, I say? <laughs> like I probably, I think I probably watched like eighty movies in in like eighty two thousand twenty-three movies. Um, so this is the this is the bottom of the barrel of those. So we'll, we'll see how we go. Anyway, enough of that. Number three, Transformers: Rise of the Beasts. Um. You know what this is. It's yeah. another Transformers movie. Science fiction, action, big robots, directed by Stephen Cappell Jr. You know, the Hasbro Transformer toy line come to life. We've ha- been having it for 
probably a couple decades now. Um, this one primarily influenced by the Beast Wars sub-franchise. This is the seventh Transformers film. It's It serves as a standalone sequel to Bumblebee from 2018, but it's also a prequel to the 2007 Transformers film. I think. I don't no. know. Even know. We know because that they sample the score from that first 2007 movie. He's absolutely connected. <laughs> and that just makes things worse, but that's okay. Set in 1994, the film follows ex-military electronics expert Noah Diaz, who's played by Anthony Ramos, and artifact researcher Elena Wallace, who's played by Dominic Fishback, as they help the Autobots and the Maximus protect an artifact known as the Transwarp Key from the villainous Terracons. Can't write this shit myself. Like, Sounds like a cartoon, <laughs> I've got to be honest. I mean, it is. And look, Transformers is that, and it should be fun and crazy and ridiculous. I get it. But they've been able to make good Transformers movies. Like that first movie, yes. fantastic. All the Bumblebee. sequels, pretty naff. But Bumblebee, mm-hmm. fantastic. This, I mean, I don't want to say it's worse than The Last Night, but this was a really hard movie to watch. This is The a, Last this is dumb it's the last night the last night is just a mess like michael bay went crazy with that movie just the editing the the aspect ratios it ended up being a mess with bumblebee we both loved that movie and i thought this is an interesting direction for them to go in and that was set in the 80s when they announced this movie 90s i'm like interesting i can see what you're doing here we're going to spend time in a different decade. We've got John Cena, Haley Steinfeld in that first movie in Bumblebee. It was fantastic. This movie, I did a full review for Sounds Like Comics. It fell flat. I missed out on the Beast Wars era completely. I didn't see those cartoons in the 90s. But this movie, I thought on the back of Bumblebee, it was going to be fun. And it just, yeah, it fell flat. That's the thing, like, a movie can be dumb and silly and ridiculous, but also heaps of fun. You can go on it and be like, yeah, this is so stupid, but I'm having the time of my life. Like, this movie isn't actually that fun. Like, and the one thing you can take away from a movie like this is, well, look, at least the action is cool. We get to see big robots biffing on and doing all of that. But, like, I'm watching this and I'm like, why does the why does the animation of the the, the Transformers and the Maxi- Maximal what the hell they're called Maximals yeah <laughs> they looked they looked and felt like they had no weight to them there was something missing like when something would fall over it was almost like it, I don't know they had no volume to but it but you know what something- that is what the CGI did look like in the 90s so were they trying to pay homage to that were they no, doing, were no, they doing it on purpose like you know no. with no what you, you know with the the fx in the flash movie and director andy machete came out in defense I did, it saying, I, I did it on purpose like do you think maybe <laughs> maybe no. some of that is going on <laughs> i mean I can kind of buy into like Andrew Michetti's thing with the flash. I kind of can lean into it and be like, okay. Well, that's very forgiving of you. With the nineties, not at all. Okay, maybe <laughs> I'm not. not then. I believe the flash thing, but like not at all, man. No, it's just 
it just wasn't great. Like no. when something's standing still and like they just talk, I'm like, no, it looks beautiful, it's fantastic, fantastic. Suddenly you get a fight sequence, and I'm like, it's it just seems like it just seems like air. Like honestly, for me, really, if they, this, they had no weight to them. If this movie followed the last night, I'd have been like, do you know what? There's problems, but it's a big improvement on the last Transformers movie. But the fact that it follows Bumblebee, which I think I even prefer to Michael Bay's first Transformers movie. I really do. That is such a good movie. And that bit with John Cena, and he's like, they are called the Decepticons. You can't trust them. It's a good movie. The smartest man in this franchise is John Cena's character. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Bumblebee was fantastic. And again, it's an 80s movie. They're following up with a 90s movie. And damn. Yeah. I can see why you picked it. Thank you. And I forgot that we didn't do a review on it. <laughs> like, I thought I was. I mean, I, you will. I did. <laughs> it sounds well, like comics. I, I, I did it. I, cool. I never I... had my therapy. Sessions. <laughs> <laughs> damn. My number three, I have mentioned it already, and I'm going to give a disclaimer here because really I have seen worse movies this year. The reason why I'm putting this in here is down to the pure disappointment of being a fan of what this movie is, the character that it is, and picked it up on Blu-ray, watched it at home that second time, and the the bits that made me squirm a little bit when watching that first time at the cinema, damn right hated the second time and found a lot of this movie embarrassing. I'm talking about The Flash. I'm devastated. You almost have I, set yourself up for a segue just before, but, uh, you know, either way. <laughs> the Flash is one of my favourite DC characters. Something just happened. I saw you you went on mute. I was coughing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I was the internet was no, 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 no. sorry. I was, I was you. The Flash is one of my favorite DC characters. And I'd been looking forward to a live action Flash movie for the longest time. We'd heard stories that we were going to get a Flashpoint movie and then a multiverse movie. All the problems that came with what Ezra Miller was doing away from the movie. I was putting that to one side, watching the movie. Was it great seeing Michael Keaton back as Batman? Absolutely. Those fun cameos from different DC properties. Like, I don't want to spoil it here, but I think I want to say most people have seen it, but maybe they haven't. But there was a particular moment where my jaw dropped in the cinema. And it was a Superman appearance. I won't spoil it, but, oh, man, this movie, it just, that second viewing just made me angry, just disappointed, because we're not going to get a new Flash movie anytime soon. Like, the you know, the relaunching, you know, Superman Legacy, we talked about earlier, James Gunn, Gods and Monsters, all of that. It is going to be such a long time before Warner Brothers are like, do you know what? Let's give The Flash another go. So this movie is it. And it's just the disappointment, the weight with that. Like there's there's moments that work, 
But then the opening of the movie, the babies, he puts a baby in a microwave. It's just just painful. I think, right, if I'd have just seen it that one time on the big screen, it's not in my top three worst Mm. movies of the year. But that second viewing, I'm like, do you know what? It bothered me a lot. Really bothered me a lot. A bit like you, if they put out a shit Spider-Man movie, you'd be like, oh, well, that's disappointing. And it's not necessarily shit because there's some bright sparks. There's Sasha yeah. Kelly as Cara Zorrell Supergirl. I thought she did a great job. Because of this movie, I don't think we'll ever see her again as Supergirl because Warner's <laughs> we'll never see the actress again. She's good. No, I'm sure over. she'll do other things, but Warner Brothers aren't going to want people thinking about this movie when they watch their new DC movies. So it's because of the the disappointment that again there is worse movies than the flash that came out this year but i'll put it in at number three yeah i, I when i first watched i mean i remember th- just thinking like man it was mainly the the special effects that were just horrid um but then the more i thought about the movie you know after the fact i haven't rewatched it i did buy the blu-ray because completionist but the more i thought about the movie i was like I'm disliking this movie more and more every day. <laughs> but there's still those bright sparks, like you said, like all the Michael Keaton Batman stuff, and there's there's some cool shit in the movie. But yeah, it's it's pretty shocking. <laughs> it's actually yeah, shocking. and you know you've got Michael Shannon back as General Zod. I mean, I don't blame him, but he's clearly just an autopilot. Like he's just there. Things are happening around him. Barry Allen, like. You need to get behind the character. And yes, we've got the emotional arc. You know, his mum was murdered. His dad is wrongfully imprisoned. You know, we know this story. So that's happening as well. But I've just got too many issues with Ezra Miller. And if you think back to the last shot of him as Barry Allen, it's his tooth falling out. It's like, oh. And on a gag. And then a gag, right? Anyway, I, I I don't even want to talk about it anymore. So what's uh, what's your number two? <laughs> well, I never wanted to talk about this movie again, but here we are talking about this. Um, Vacation Friends 2. Um, uh, yeah, what was this on? Disney Plus? Who knows? Yeah, Disney, Disney Plus. Disney Plus, yeah. Whatever. The buddy comedy film written and directed by Clay Tarvel. This is the sequel to Vacation Friends 2021, which I'll admit, I had a pretty good time with. Like Me too. The movie first one, pretty first decent, one's good, right? This movie just—it just wasn't funny. Like <laughs> it, this was one of the hardest chores of the year. I think watching this, I just think back and I'm like, yeah, that was a rough one to get through. Newly married couple, Marcus, who's played by Lil Rel Howry and Emily, uh, played by Yvonne Orji, invite their uninhabited best. Besties, Ron, who's John Cena, and Kyla, played by Meredith Hagner, who are also newly married. They have a baby. They join them for a vacation when Marcus lands an all-expenses-paid trip to a Caribbean resort. Kayla's incarcerated father, Reese, who's played by Steve Buscemi, is released from San Quentin and shows up at the resort unannounced. Things get out of control. You know how this is meant to go. Um, look, there's crazy shit happening, but, like, even... Even with the delightful Steve Buscemi there, like doing his thing, like jokes aren't landing. the The characters all seem just really different from that first movie. 
the the whole premise of that first movie with the with the dynamics, you know, the odd couple, but with couples, this one just felt like okay, we kind of need to go back to that formula because that's the premise. But at the same time, we had kind of moved past that because they resolved it in that first one. So then suddenly it was trying to make that clashing. It kind of wasn't natural anymore. And it was like, everything was forced such a flat movie. Nothing works. Didn't have fun with it. Like I said, was such a chore. I hate you for making me watch it. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I mean, what you just said there, what made that first movie work? I mean, both movies, great cast. And you know, the majority of the cast come back for the sequel. But what worked about the first movie is the clashing of those personalities, like two couples that are opposites, but they, mm. by the end, find a way to come together. But you had the comedy of them back and forth, not getting along for different reasons in that first movie. Second movie, well, the best of friends. So, the tra- well, what can we do? Denise took a spanner in the works, and then it's Steve Buscemi's character. And, you know, he's always great when he turns up in things, but even him being there doesn't create what we got in that first movie. So it's it's an example of, like, this sequel really doesn't need to exist. Like, you did a thing that first time. I mean, look at the Hangover movies. That's an ongoing story. Like, as a trilogy, it works because there's different things that happen from one movie to the next vacation friends and then the sequel no there's just there's no reason for it to exist other than something they could make fairly on the cheap it's a holiday movie they've got their exotic location they're going to fly the cast out they've got a script they've got the cameras but come on it's not a good movie i know i just just completely Completely jumped in your bandwagon there. I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go in a slightly <laughs> different direction, and I'm gonna use this movie as an example of something that I'm really not liking at the moment. It's a movie made for a streaming service that they've clearly chucked a shitload of money at, but it's just a bland action comedy. I'm talking about Ghosted. Apple TV Plus, directed by Dexter Fletcher. We'd all seen the trailers, got to see the movie, looked expensive, great cast, Chris Evans, Ari Diarmas. Very sexy. <laughs> Which one? Evans or Diarmas? Oh, Mike Boyd. Anyway. I ain't, I ain't shy. Right, come on. <laughs> Dexter Fletcher is a good director, good actor, you know, going back to Lockstock in Two Smoking Barrels. But this movie just... I don't know. It just fell flat. And there's other movies like this, like Heart of Stone on Netflix with Gal Gadot. And just, you know, big, expensive-looking movies that are just made for streaming. And I thought, of the ones that I watched, Ghosted is the one that probably bothered me the most because of the talent involved. If you're unfamiliar, Cole falls head over heels for enigmatic Sadie, but then makes the shocking discovery that she's a secret agent. Before they can decide on a second date, Cole and Sadie are swept away on an international adventure to save the world. So there we go. There's high stakes. I remember when I was watching this, getting ready for the review, 
And I was questioning, are Chris Evans and Ar- Arnold Armas actually in this movie together? Because the way it was edited in the opening, like they were never in a single <laughs> shot together. It was a really weird mm. way of opening the movie. But again, yeah, it's, it just, it didn't work for me. Like, it looked good. Like, you know, the, you could see they were actually going to the locations. Like, it wasn't all just green screen, but it just wasn't good. It just wasn't a good movie. And if you look at the Apple TV Plus uh, TV series, incredible. They've had some decent movies, like Tetris I really enjoyed. But for the most part, Apple seemed to be nailing it with TV and not so much with film. Yeah, look, and I, it's, I mean, like for the longest time, and I sort of backed off a, a little bit, but like, like Netflix original films, I was just like, they're just not good. They're not great, but they have been putting out a couple that are that are that are all right. I didn't want to make my my whole like bottom three be all these like straight to streaming things because like you know, like you mentioned like Heart of Stone and and is that what that was called that I mean that was rubbish as well. But yeah, yeah. you know this was it ghosted. Yeah, not a great movie. You know like, and I think the only saving grace was the two actors and just. I don't know, just watching them on screen. I know I make a joke being like, because I remember leading up to all the trailers, I was like, this movie just looks too sexy. Like, they, sh- these are two beautiful people. They, they can't be in a movie together. It's just too much. Um, but, like, you know what? They're, they're quite enjoyable in terms of, like, them as actors and the, the characters. And I was like, you know, I got a little bit out of it, but you're right. It's a pretty poor effort. There really isn't much to it at all. It's And it really it's isn't. kind of like that rinse and repeat with these especially the action ones. I find a lot of gripe I have is with these straight-to-streaming action films where they they look like they should be good, lot big budget, like you said, but yeah, you can, there's nothing interesting happening. You can, see, just, you can see they've spent money on it. And just the cast, Chris Evans, Arnold Armas, we know they can have good chemistry. We've seen them in a fantastic film together, Knives Out. So it's knowing just, that, so just aren't good. So, it like, just, the characters yeah. don't, the actors don't have anything to do, you know, like with, with the characters, but there are some nice action sequences. Cool. But again, uh, me picking Ghosted, it's not just about Ghosted, it's about streaming action movies. And we've both watched a couple message. of times now, <laughs> Heart of Stone. So, when I was doing my top three, yeah, I wasn't just targeting a particular thing. So, I've done like a big studio movie with The Flash, a streaming movie with Ghosted, and then I've done something different with my number one spot. But what is your is going after everyone that you hate? What <laughs> number am I up to? Number one? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, look. It's it's a it's a streaming one again, so because I couldn't help myself. Um, this is also a recent one. We just did a review on it, and yep, it took that number one spot, took the crown. Rebel Moon Part One: A Child of Fire. So sorry, Zack Snyder, but this <laughs> is a piece of shit. I should have <laughs> seen that coming actually. I hate, this, I... <laughs> I hate this more than when we did our review like two weeks ago. Oh, mate, in April, I've grown. In April, we're going to review part two. I'm so in advance. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll write. I'll add to the tally now. We need to know what fun. happens. 
Uh, the epic space opera film directed by Zack Snyder, based on a story conceived by himself, um, released by Netflix. They gave him money. Um, they used it somewhere. <laughs> the the film set in a fictional galaxy ruled by imperialistic mother world whose military, the Imperium, threatens a farming colony on the moon of Velt. Cora, who's played by Sevilla Batella, is a former Imperium soldier, ventures on a quest to recruit warriors from across the galaxy to make a stand against the Imperium before their return to Velt. Like, it's Star Wars, it's Dune, it's A Bug's Life, it's Seven Samurai, it's The Magnificent Seven, it's it's stuff we've seen, but, like, it's okay, we can see that again, we can see new versions of these kind of things. It's all right, I'm all for it. What am I watching? This movie has no structure. It has too much exposition by every single new character we meet. Anytime someone's delivering their exposition, they turn into like, I'm going, I'm trying to win an award for the best narrator ever or something. Uh, the acting ain't great. The There's some nice little fight sequences, but literally just as standalone sequences. That's all they are. Like, you show me a clip, and I'm like, that looks pretty cool, though. That looks fun. There's laser swords and stuff. It's, you know, there should be fun shit here that you're like, wow, this is awesome, but nothing's cohesive. Just seems like a whole bunch of different scenes pasted together. Um, There is obviously a story, but then as they're recruiting characters, it's like, the characters then don't do anything. <laughs> they just kind of hover around in the background. There'll be another fight, and it's just like, oh, but the fight's only about these two characters, so can everyone else that's joined the crew just kind of set back? You're, we're going to save you for the next movie. There's a cool little robot that's voiced by, um, yeah, what's-his-name, um, you know, the one, Hannibal Lecter. Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> he's my Anthony favorite Hopkins. character in, in the whole movie. Yeah, and he's in this movie for like five minutes. He's there at the start. Pops at the end, has With antlers for some reason. Yep, yep. The, the building. Big tease for, for the... part two. But <laughs> sort of. This movie you is know garbage. What? I hate it so much. Do you know what my favourite <laughs> thing about all this is? Is the, the comparison that you keep making to Bud's life. Because everybody, you know, will make the comparisons to Star Wars and Dune. But not you. You're like, yeah, but do you know what? Bug's life. That's what they're doing. It's a bug. But to be fair, a bug's life is like Seven Samurai. <laughs> Magnificent Seven and stuff. So, I mean, yeah. I'm obviously half joking there. But really, I mean, like, that was my first thought before I thought about it when I was watching this movie. Like, and I'm like, Oh, they're gonna get warriors. This is a bug's life. Like, really you, are, you are right, though. It's like each character will stop for a monologue, like as if they're auditioning it's for ridiculous. something. Ridiculous! It's it's it stop ridiculous. start. I mean, I like, definitely didn't have a hard of a time of it than you did, but I do. Like, yeah, no, we but... we reviewed it fairly recently, and I won't say it here. But yeah, you rated it pretty low, so I should have seen it coming. <laughs> but. Who wow. watched this movie? Who watched the final cut of this movie and went, yes, this is good. Let's release this to the world. Keep <laughs> like, in mind, right? This is a movie that gets a tick. Like, Ahead of part two, sign off that. we're going to get the director's cut, an even longer cut of, of this the movie. The Snyder Cut, you mean? The... You know what? <laughs> Just for shits and giggles, I might even watch and review it for Sounds Like Comics. Who knows? Oh, yeah, you're on your own there. See you later. <laughs> Well, I'm, not, I'm clearly not going to get you back <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know maybe if i like ah oh, see there's a sick curiosity there where i'm like maybe that cut is 
a far better cohesive movie and it could be something that if i if not love i might just enjoy or like it hey do you know what I, watch, oh. watch this space it's unprecedented <laughs> but maybe that film stew will review a director mean, who knows <laughs> i need to speak to a psychologist i think i need i need professional help my my number one is not rebel moon you know before I was talking about be. my love <laughs> of Jason Statham films. You know, he did a movie this year or last year, you'll say, with a giant shark. Well, my yeah. number one worst movie of the year isn't that shark movie. Oh, is... thank God. I was like, I wasn't that bad, <laughs> was it? Jeez. It is That's pretty bad. The Black Demon, directed by Adrian Grumberg. A movie that was on my radar and I was waiting until it was streaming and I watched it on Prime Video. I think it's popped up somewhere else as well. If you're unfamiliar, Oilman Paul Sturges idyllic family vacation turns into a living nightmare when they encounter a gigantic megalodon shark that will stop at nothing to protect its territory. Stranded and under constant attack, Paul and his family will somehow find a way to get back to shore alive before it strikes again. Now, that is the official description of the movie. The point there about being under constant attack? Lies. This is shocking. Nothing happens. <laughs> I you, think I remember you telling me about this movie. It's a shark you movie. Barely, you barely see the shark. You <laughs> but not, barely. Not like, not like Jaws, where it's like, you barely see the no, shark. No, no, no. That, that I mean, cinematic it's brilliance. It's a different thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love shark movies. It all started with Spielberg's Jaws. But this movie, man, just, it's not good. It is really not good. Uh, Grunberg is known for directing and co-writing the film Get the Gringo from 2012, starring Mel Gibson. In 2019, he directed Rambo, Last Blood, the fifth film in its franchise. He has directed good films. Not this one. The Black Demon is not good. Uh, The main actor in this movie, the main character, is played by Josh Lucas. We've seen him in various things over the years. But now this movie, I'm like, I'm waiting (laughs) to watch it. Got to see it. It's not good. It is not good because what oh man, what they're doing with it? Like you know that the Meg is just like a big, silly prehistoric shark movie. What they're doing here, it's like they're trying to say like there's an environmental message, like hey, what we're doing to Mother Earth, you know, it's going to retaliate, and with this this giant shark, and with it's just not. There's a time and a place. It's not in a giant shark movie. Don't preach to me. I just want to be entertained. <laughs> and it's just not good. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. I watched this, I think, close to the end of November. And I was like, that's it. That's the number one. Best movie of the year. Who can top that? <laughs> I may see some more bad movies before the year is out, but I feel like I've already watched the worst one. Yeah, the Black Demon, it's just a big, big disappointment. I look, I haven't watched it, so no real comment, but yeah, I do remember you telling me about it and yeah, you know you're angry when like you're messaging whilst watching the movie, being like, I'm not having a good time. Like I'm not <laughs> not like Well, this. it's like, you know, I'm somebody that likes shark movies. Here's a shark movie. Great. I'm your perfect audience, anyway. 
did I'm not work. Prime for it. <laughs> it did not work for me at all. And do you know what? That's enough negativity. Let's move on to the best movies of 2023, and we'll both pick 3H. That's it. The main event. All right, I'm going to start off with, um, and I run this by you, so you didn't say I couldn't do it. I've got some, I've got some honorable mentions. I picked five that didn't quite make my top three. I did kind of struggle this year. I've liked a lot of movies. I've thought some movies are pretty fantastic, but there was nothing that was really shining as like my like that is the best movie of the year. So my top three is kind of made up of an assortment of like, hey, these are the 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 best movies of the year that I've watched. I'm not really sure on the order, but I've kind of thrown them in in a, in a kind of order. Um, and then there was five movies that I was like, I really want to highlight that they were great, but they didn't quite make the cut. Um, and in no particular order with this, but um, Tetris, directed by John S. Uh, Bard, I can't remember if that's how you say his name. Um, Bo is Afraid, starring Joaquin Phoenix, directed by Ari Aster. Trippy as, like... What is that movie even about? I'm still not really sure, but it was a fantastic three-hour experience. Um, terrifying, just terrifying. Um, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Shit, ton of fun. The the, the action sequences, that whole thing with the train um, in the final third act, like just great fun. Tom Cruise running, jumping. You know how it is. The the motorbike scene that we've all seen, the behind-the-scenes bits, are fantastic. Um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, directed by... Um, Jaquim Dos Santos, Justin K. Thompson, and Kemp Powers. Another fantastic um, entry in the animated Spider-Man thing that they've got going on. Literally, like, only fell short because I'm still kind of griped about the, the the cliffhanger ending. I just hate it. Um, and, yeah, same with Mission Impossible, actually. I was like, damn, cliffhanger. Um, and A Good Person, directed by Zach Braff, Beautiful little film, um, just lots of emotions, but not heavy-handed. Like really diving into like grief and guilt and all that kind of struggle, addiction. Uh, Zach Braff is a is a pretty good director, a pretty great director actually. I quite like a lot of his films. Like they're quite small, but pretty amazing. Anyway, I wasn't meant to dwell on them, but they're my five honorable mentions. Do you have any comments, or I'll just give you my number three movie? No, because. Cool. Yes, this was a last-minute edition, so I've also yep. picked five. Zach Braff, we've all seen Garden State. We knew him as JD from Scrubs for the longest time. And then it's like, wow, and you watch the movies that he's writing, directing, and I have seen A Good Person, Florence Pugh, and wow, what a rough ride that movie is. A very good movie, but everything you've just said, you know, Ed, Addiction, trauma, loss, all of that is such a heavy movie, but a really well-made movie. We've doubled up on a couple here. So I'll go through my top five honourable mentions. Number five, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It looked beautiful. It looked amazing. The story is great. The performances, everything that we liked or loved, should I say, about that first movie is here in that second movie. But unfortunately, the cliffhanger, the no ending. Like it's now available there, yes. stream. I think Netflix have got it, Binge have got it. And I'm I've added it to my list, but 
I don't want to experience that cliffhanger again without being able to watch part two. So I'm going to hold out on watching it a second time to watch, what is it, uh, Beyond the Spider-Verse, I think they're calling it. So really enjoyed it, but it's half a movie. I've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem as number four. You know, we talked about that already. Number three for me is just a film that the trailers made me think, holy shit, this looks amazing. It looks so funny. Uh, supposed to be based on a true story. I'm talking about Cocaine Bear, directed by Elizabeth Banks. <laughs> yeah. I had such a good time with that movie. I wasn't going to put it in my top three best movies of the year. But when you suggested honorable mentions, I'm like, Cocaine Bear. Absolutely. I've seen it twice. Like at the movies at home, it's so much fun. Number two, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I think without knowing how it was going to end, and I'm not going to spoil it if you've not seen it, I was just tense, like not knowing what was going to happen because they've done a final indie film before, and that was The Last Crusade, which ended a perfect trilogy. So good. And then Crystal Skull happened, and then this happened. So just knowing how it's going to end, I enjoyed it a lot more that second viewing. And number one is a movie that as an IP, I've got zero interest outside of a cartoon from the 80s. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. I did a full review for Sounds Like Comics. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I've seen it twice now. You've seen it, haven't you? I have not. It's definitely oh, that I've, I've heard great things. Like I love it. I, I, leading up to it, I was like, that looks like a I really love it. Honestly, I, I, <laughs> apparently it's I, no, it, it, it is. It's yes, it's action adventure, but it's a comedy. Like there is so much comedy. I'd say, I mean, yes, it's an action adventure movie, but there's comedy in this that is funnier than most comedies. Like there's a scene in particular where there's a spell, it involves Chris Pine's character, and the spell starts to wear off and glitches and Again, I've seen this movie twice, and both times I laughed out loud. It is generally <laughs> a fantastic movie, and it's available on Paramount+. Plus. Really recommend you checking it out. It's a bloody good film. Again, I knew it was coming out. Zero interest. As soon as I saw those trailers, Hugh Grant, you know, we talked about him in Wonka. He was in The Gentleman. He was in Operation Fortune. I'm loving his work at the moment. He'd always been the romantic comedy guy. Right now, Hugh Grant, he's fantastic in whatever he appears in. And that includes Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. So, all right, they are the honourable mentions. Let's get into our top three. All right. And again, not really sure of the order, but I've kind of committed to these, so we'll go with it. Number three, I'm going with Barbie. We, You, you talked about it earlier. Uh, you touched on it when we were talking about the music, but the fantasy comedy film directed by... Greta Gerwig. Um, now we know that it's based on the you know the fashion dolls Mattel, but this is the first live action film. And what they've done here, what Greta Gerwig's done in, in, in writing it and directing it and the performance and stuff, they've created this very original movie. Like everything about this, even though it's based on an existing IP, like 
I guess. It, it's such an original film and it has so much to say. It's smart. It's funny. And that's where it gets the big ticks for me. It's not just like, hey, it's really funny or, you know, like, oh, this movie's too up itself. To... It's smart, funny. It's witty. It's well-performed. It's it's fun. It's enjoyable. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone's seen this movie. Even people that didn't want to watch this movie have watched this movie. But if you haven't, Barbie, played by Margot Robbie, and Ken, played by Ryan Gosling, they go on a journey of self-discovery through both Barbie land and the real world following an existential crisis. We've got a supporting cast, which includes America Ferreira, who delivers, I think, one of the... And this is coming from a male. Yes, I've checked. I am male. Um, but she delivers, like, this speech that if I felt what she was saying... And I felt the importance and the sincerity behind it. Like, I can only imagine how females were feeling when she was delivering that. We all know the speech, you know, how hard it is to be a woman, how it's not men's fault. It's just sometimes it's hard. It's heavy. Um, it's, it's rough. You know, all of that kind of stuff. Michael Cera, Kate McKinnon, Issa Rae, uh, Rhea Perlman, Will Ferrell. You know, I did have a few issues, I think, when I first watched it, thinking about, like, Oh, the the guys at the Mattel office are really wacky. It's almost like this make-believe land when they get there. But then upon further review, I'm just like, do you know what? It really just kind of works with just the craziness of this. And it's like the Mattel stuff is its own thing. The real world is its own thing. Barbie land's its own thing. Um, but look, again, this is a wonderful movie and it's heartfelt. Again, smart funny probably one of the smartest comedies i've seen in a very very long time uh fantastic movie and very pink that's probably the last comment i've got <laughs> barbie <laughs> yeah i mean it's fantastic i talked about the soundtrack earlier uh, i went to the perth premiere which was um an interesting very, experience and very pink <laughs> very pink and you know the it was the only time that a film premiere I've gone to felt like a nightclub. Like it really <laughs> had that vibe. It, it's a it's a great movie. Like it really is. You know, so I watched it then. You know, for the podcast, and then watched it with my kids. They've got it on Blu-ray. They got it as a joint present at Christmas. And the amount of times I've listened to the soundtrack, it's a great film. It, it just everything about it just works. So it is. Yeah, ED's a great pick. What I've selected for my number three is, I think, the only film from 2023 that I've watched three times. And the first time I watched it was the theatrical release in May. I'm talking about Renfield, directed by Chris McKay. Yes, it's a horror comedy and cheesy and all of that. But it's <laughs> it's a film that I was very much looking forward to. I'm a big Nicolas Cage fan. You know, we talked about Dream Scenario earlier. You know, he's had such a great year or a great couple of years. Um, he's managed to escape the direct-to-streaming or DVD-slash-Blu-ray bin. He's putting out some really good quality movies of like, like he used to do. Again, I'm a true hard Cage fan, so I've been with him all along. But this movie is is fantastic. Now, it wasn't by design that I watched it three times, watched it at the cinema for the review, and then picked it up on Blu-ray. My wife was kind of interested, but not right now. So I'm like, Do you know what? 
I'll just watch it. And then it was like a couple of weeks later, she's like, yeah, I'll watch it. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I watched it three times. <laughs> okay. But, but so that's why I'm not insane. <laughs> that's why I watched it three times. But it's bloody fantastic. It landed every single time I watched it. And I could gladly just go and press play and watch it again right now. If you're unfamiliar, Renfield, the tortured aide, to his narcissistic boss, Dracula, is forced to procure his master's prey and do his every bidding. However, after centuries of servitude, he's ready to see if there's a life outside of the shadow of the Prince of Darkness. We've got Nicholas Holt as Renfield. Aquafina is bloody fantastic in this. We've got Ben Schwartz. It is such a great film. I enjoy this movie so much when they can get the balance right of horror comedy i'm talking films like the lost boys fright night renfield i'd put it up there when they can get it right it works really well i love everything about it like the moment when dracula it goes to the support group and Renfield looks at him and he knows what's about to happen. He knows that there's going to be carnage. And the way that Cage raises his eyebrows up and down, I love it. Like, I just, I love this film. I love this film. So I don't care. I'm putting it in at number three. <laughs> I mean, look, to me, I'm like, that's a genuinely crazy choice. But look, I, I, re- I enjoyed it. I, God, I can't I've say got, I loved it. I've um, got, this is the thing, right? I've got reasons. So, like, when it comes to my top three, like, I don't just want to, like, this is cinema, you know? Right. Okay. To, do you know what I mean? It's like... Fun, so, it's enjoyment, you had a good time, yeah. you had an experience. That's like, it. Yeah. That's it. So, and that's kind of been my approach. I don't just want to have one approach of the same thing. So, Renfield is a movie, like... You know, was the more was the better movies made? Yes, absolutely. But I'm putting it number three because of just the enjoyment level. But doing what this movie is doing, though, which you know, it, it is up there with I said Lost Boys Fright Night, it really is up there. It's, just, yeah, it's the enjoyment, it's the enjoyment. I'm going to go a bit more highbrow with my number two, but before I get to it, what's your number two? Um, with mine, I'm just I've got like a crude adult comedy, so you know it's all good, man. Like we can, we can mix things up. <laughs> this is uh, Joyride, um, a comedy film directed by Adele Lim. Um, this is fantastic. this is like this is like the Hangover road trip, but just like with a bunch of Asian American women. <laughs> like it's it's nutty. Like um, you know, I talk about Barbie being like a smart comedy, like you know, one of the best in, in a long time. But this is genuinely one of the most funniest, um, just outrageous movies. Not necessarily hell smart, but just flat out funny. Just driving home the comedy um, with a lot of sincerity with the characters, um, the relationships, all of that kind of stuff thrown in there. Um, pretty glorious like and again if you're just after that sort of you know that crude adult humor where it's like you know there's there's sex stuff and just like genitalia and just gross things happening like this is the movie for you this is great it doesn't go as as 
gross as I'm making it sound, but it's all there. Um, if you're unfamiliar, when Audrey's, uh, or played by Ashley Park, her business trip to Asia goes sideways, she enlists the aid of Lolo, who's played by Sherry Kohler, um, her irreverent childhood best friend, who also happens to be a hot mess. Um, there's Kat, who's played by Stephanie Sue. Um, her college friend turned Chinese soap star, and Deda, who's played fabulously by Sabrina Wu, um, Lolo's eccentric cousin. Um, there's no holds, but epic experience uh, becomes a journey of bonding, friendship, belonging, and wild debauchery that reveals the universal truth of what it means to know and love who you are. Um, just from start to finish, like the the laugh count per minute is, is up there. Um, Watch this with the wife um, at home when it became available for streaming, and it was just like, damn! I wish I had gone to the cinema and just enjoyed this with an audience because it was one of those where it was like we're just cackling, waking up the kids, which was really frustrating. But just, yeah, just so funny, an amazing, um, you know, like you you mentioned like movies like um, you know, Cocaine Bear, like hilarious. I even, I'll even throw in like Strays, you know, like there have been some really fantastic comedy films you know like uh, no hard feelings and stuff adult comedy it seems to be back but this took the crown for i guess like that subgenre of of films this year now hearing your selection now this is the film that i watched and enjoyed a lot but i feel as though maybe i made too too many apologies for renfield <laughs> you're putting <laughs> joyride in at number two did not see that you know, coming it was a joy ride. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Watch, and it was just, that was my experience. Was experience. Yeah. It was, it, yeah, it was just a, a, it was a fantastic time. It's just one of the most enjoyable movies I've watched in 2023, like oh, of the new stuff. <laughs> anyway. My number two, right, is a movie that I believe we both gave five out of five. But I remember saying at the time that as much as I really enjoyed it, and again, like for it to warrant a five out of five, we said so many good things about this movie. It was, it was like, well, this is a movie that I've experienced, I've watched, and I enjoyed, and I might not watch it again. I'm talking about Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. It's been a while since I saw it at the movies now. I could happily watch this a Second time. I mean, it really is a great film. Admittedly, the wife hasn't seen it, so we will watch it is your excuse? together <laughs> at home. But it really is a brilliant film and, you know, various awards. It's been getting recognition. And, you know, people are talking about Killian Murphy, Robert Downey Jr. Honestly, for me, and I know I talked about it in the review, Josh Hartner, he's bloody fantastic. In this movie, and I mentioned earlier, he's in Operation Fortune with Jason Statham. I've always thought he's a really good actor. And just him being in a Christopher Nolan film, I thought it got to show off a little bit more. But it, it's a bloody good film. It, I don't know what more to say. I mean, we've done it. We've done a full review. And we all know what it is during World War Two, Lieutenant... General Leslie Groves Jr. appoints physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer. We know this. We all know the story. And due to the Barbenheimer phenomenon, I'm pretty sure most people have seen it, it was 
huge. It was a huge movie on the big screen. And what I really like about it and why I want to include it here, think back to the 90s. You know, when we got like adult movies, and what I mean by that is more mature porn. movies, oh, not yes. porn. But, you know, we look <laughs> back to, you know, like Harrison Ford doing films like Clear and Present Danger. You know, we used to get more movies where they weren't necessarily action movies. You know, talking with, and they yeah, drama. Were, yeah. Yes. And, that, and that's it. We used to get a lot of them and we get less now. Maybe the assumption is that there's not an audience for that, but I think it we can't all it can't all be down to the Barbenheimer. It's it's not. And there's gonna be a percentage of audiences that maybe feel as though movies aren't necessarily made for them on the big screen anymore. It's all Marvel, Star Wars, whatever, franchises. Whereas a movie like Oppenheimer, yes, it would have definitely have got a bump from Barbenheimer. But that's not pushing it to the box office that it got. I think there's definitely people that turned up for this movie like, oh, wow, this is a movie that I can enjoy. So it reached a different kind of audience. But Oppenheimer, See, yeah. It's, it's, just like it's, the, it's the subject matter, the, the director, the prestige director that is Christopher Nolan. And I guess the pairing of the two, like Christopher Nolan doing a, a biopic essentially on, um, you know, on Oppenheimer, like what the hell? Like the, the atomic bomb? Like this is, yeah, crazy times. Like sounds interesting. I'm in. Then the whole Barbenheimer thing happened and just elevated it. But you're right. Like it would have, it would have had its own legs. Um, and you're right. Like it is a fantastic movie. And if we're talking, you know, like cinema and the, you know, like quality of film and stuff, like it is definitely up there as, as one of the best uh, of the year. But I think on the back of what you were saying about like, you know, having our choices be kind of based or at least influenced a lot more on like our enjoyment, our experience. It's like, you know, it's a rough movie to sort of walk out and be like, wow, I really enjoyed that. Like it was, but it was an experience uh, like you. It was like, I wasn't in a rush to watch it again. I think I'm at a point, like you said, like I reckon I could go back and, and watch it, which I didn't think would happen as soon as now, but I think I'm probably ready. But again, when I look back on the year, you know, like I think I I can't really remember, but like I might have rated Oppenheimer higher than I did Barbie as an example. We um, both did. And, and this is the thing. But yeah, we said it I, at the time, and even when we, you know, cause I, you know, they both came out at the same time. So when we were reviewing both movies, we're both of the mind of saying, well, Oppenheimer is the better movie. But Barbie is the movie that I would want to watch again. So that was the yeah, main like the more movie, the more fun movie. Between us, though, we have got Bob Barbenheimer. Between <laughs> us, though, <laughs> uh, between us, though, we have got Barbenheimer in in our in our top three. But again, my approach to the top three, you know, going from Renfield to Oppenheimer, like it was a different approach with each one, which is. This is great, and I, I kind of like your your style so far. Um, for my number one pick, I have gone for you know like artsy, prestige, good filmmaking stuff, but also the enjoyment because you can have all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, if I'm watching this, if I'm watching the film and it's not, 
enjoyable or like I'm not actually invested having a good time. It's not hitting me on an emotional level. Like it's not gonna get those full marks from me. This movie, The Holdovers, has done that for me. Another very late addition to the year that was 2023. But this is a comedy drama film directed by Alexander Payne. Now, this movie is set in the early 1970s. Um, and on the artistic side of it, what they've done is uh, they've made this look like a movie from the 70s. Like there's the aspect ratio is shrunk. Um, there, there's like an uh, an old timely, and people get angry for me for saying that, but like, you know, like a grainy effect applied to the film to give it um, a certain old look but more so than that just like the the actual style and look of like the the sets and the costumes and like the way the actors and sort of present like if not for me knowing Paul Giamatti is Paul Giamatti if you just started playing this movie and I had no like idea about it. I would genuinely tell you like this looks like like this is a movie from the 70s like and it's hard to explain but it's like the the way the characters hold themselves perform it's it, it's like it was a different style of performing back then acting and how it was presented on screen they're emulating that and displaying that so all that artsy stuff is like fantastic but on top of that what you get is this very intimate heartfelt story um, of these people coming together. I'll tell you what it's about. So Paul Giamatti stars as a strict classics teacher at a New England boarding school who is forced to chaperone a handful of students with nowhere to go on Christmas break. Um, eventually, he forms an unlikely bond with one of them, a damaged, brainy troublemaker um, who's played by Dominic Cesar, which I believe is his first uh, role, which is pretty cool, at least feature role, um, and with the school's head cook, who's played by Devine Joy Randolph, who has just lost her son um, in uh, Vietnam or the Vietnam War, I suppose. Um, so, look again, like from obviously me saying that, it probably sounds like you know very, you know, like emotional beats, all that kind of stuff, which this movie does have. But there's so much humor in the exchanges and the outrageousness of like both Paul Giamatti's character being how strict and then like these boys just being a bunch of like dropkick larrikins and just being like, man, we're on Christmas break. And like, why are we studying and stuck here and all of that? Um, and then there's just so much character development and depth to this movie. I'm watching this and I'm like, this is hitting all the right strides, like coming of age. Um, just like, relationships almost like a father-son kind of dynamic to the you know, the two characters there um and then there's just like just sort of also like having this character that's like he's of a certain age and there are some regrets that he's sort of analyzing and looking back on and then kind of rediscovering his youth through this young boy and it's like there's so much to it by the end of this movie like like the the credits started playing and I was just like I could have just spent another hour with these with these people and just being like just going about their day because I just wanted to like that's a kind of effect so this is a very surprising movie that kind of just came out of nowhere um but I started hearing great stuff about Paul Giamatti's performance I was like I'll check this movie out and it just hit me like this is a fantastic movie 
and thank you for listening to my TED Talk. <laughs> Before the <laughs> awards buzz, I'd seen that first trailer, and I do really like Paul Giamatti. I do. I was already interested, and then he just absolutely blew up. Like he recently was it the Emmys? Like what did he? He won an award, didn't he? I think, I think it might have been the Golden Globes. But... Golden Globes, because then there was that shot of him at a takeaway place. He had the he had the award there with him. Yeah, this oh, movie. Yeah, he went to In Out Burger. That's right. <laughs> Looks great. It really does look great, and I absolutely do want to see. But unfortunately, I haven't been able to see it yet. But again, like Paul Giamatti, like. You can always count on him for a good performance, and already interested in this movie. And then you know the you know the success at the awards and what you just said there. Yeah, I'll be definitely checking it's, this out. It's a movie that, like, I look at it, and I'm just like, this potentially could be a like an instant classic. Like, and I'm talking about a movie like Dead Poet Society or you know just something like that. Like, it's it's like. I don't know. There's yeah. There's something really special here. So yeah, it took the crown for me. Well, my number one, and Please you have, <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. I mean, you have mentioned it in your honourable mentions, but again, it isn't a cartoon. Just like last year, my number one movie of the year is a movie starring <laughs> Tom Cruise. Oh yeah. yeah. Now. I have seen Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 twice. Second viewing wasn't the same as that first viewing, but the first viewing is the reason why I'm putting it at my number one pick. It still worked the second time, don't get me wrong, but you knew what happened and that cliffhanger ending was coming. The issue that you had with Across the Spider-Verse. <laughs> Yeah. But I'm just thinking back to the day of release, first screening of the day, there I was, eagerly awaiting this new Mission Impossible installment, did not disappoint, completely immersed in this movie, in this world, Hayley Atwell, crews back as Ethan Hunt. I loved it so much. I cannot wait for part two, but that's that's what it was. And again, and it's what happened last year with Top Gun Maverick, just spending like a couple of hours. Just I don't know. It, it was it just pulled me in. So even though we get that big cliffhanger, we knew going in it's literally called part one. We knew that it was going to have a cliffhanger, but I loved it. Loved everything about it. I'm a big fan of this franchise and just the approach to filmmaking like it's there on screen you can see it like i mean we know behind the scenes how much cruz is actually doing himself you know he wants to put himself in the action like that stunt when he's on the bike and he goes off the edge of the mountain incredible never get tired of it behind the scenes, watching it in the movie. It is amazing. So that's what it was for me. It's just the spectacle. Again, loving these movies anyway, but the anticipation, just the countdown, and that's what it felt like. Because where I am now, I'm a big comic book guy. There's a new Marvel movie coming out. There's a new DC movie coming out. That used to really get me excited. And I'm not completely 
you know, not as excited as it used to be, but I'm not quite there. Whereas this new Mission Impossible movie, I was really looking forward to it, and it delivered on every level. Yeah, the cliffhanger was a little bit of a like, oh, geez, how long do I have to wait? But it was just like the whole package, the whole experience. So that's why it's number one. You know, like Renfield, something that I watched and thoroughly enjoyed, the horror, the comedy, and this, just a spectacle, and then just a bit more highbrow with Oppenheimer with my number two pick. But Mission Impossible, like for me, two years running, Tom Cruise. Yeah, people are going to start thinking things, man. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to think, wow, he really likes his movies, and they would be right. (laughs) <laughs> that was good and like, everything you said bang on like it, it i mean it was in my honorable mentions for a reason like it's fantastic and just just great stuff like i haven't watched it again yet but um i'm itching for it and do you know what to be fair the the cliffhanger thing like the split the where's part two it probably does it the best out of all these you know fast x and across the spider it it kind of is its own movie though because it kind of does wrap a few things up and then it kind of sets up for the next thing. It doesn't it just... It does, go, yeah. He's yeah. in danger, boom, done. Like, <laughs> so it's... I'm kind of okay with how it ended, which is why, it, yeah, it's... it's and good. that's it. it. We we were primed for it, whereas across the Spider-Verse, it was a bit of, like, whiplash. And have you heard, right, what they're talking about with the follow-up to Fast X, that they're going to look at reducing the amount of locations budget and making it feel more like the first one okay sure what the hell (laughs) that makes no sense because we're waiting for fast export 2 which was like a massive explosive over the top Uh, spectacle What they need to do is part two of fast x and then have the next film do what they're talking about where it's you know, more low key, more in line with that yeah, first movie. Anyway, yeah, let's quiet it down. Like, let's go back to basics. Ah, uh, we'll see how it transpires. Well, that's our best movies of 2023, and now we could talk about our most anticipated movies of 2024. All right, and we're picking two here, and the number the number two one I've got is the sequel. To Pixar's Inside Out from 2015, which um, aptly net titled Inside Out 2. Uh, this will be directed by Kelsey Mann. Um, it will take us inside a teenager's head. So that's always good, isn't it? Um, it'll revisit Riley, you know, from the first movie, who's now in high school, and will fittingly introduce a host of new emotions. Amy Poehler, Phyllis Smith, and Lewis Black. Um, they're back. They're reprising their roles uh, with Tony Hale, uh, Lisa Lapierre, I think, replacing disgust and the the fear, I think, or whichever one the awkward guy was. Um, and Maya Hawke is joining the cast. I think she's anxiety. And there's three others that we're still yet to find out about. So that's exciting. I'm pumped. Um, Inside Out was like a return to form for Pixar when it came out. Um I'm looking for it, and I trust Pixar will do something very wonderful with this, or at least have a lot of fun with it and tug on some heartstrings. I'm pretty certain. Looks yeah, good. inside. Teasers, uh, 
Yeah, Inside Out was one of the better ones in recent years. I think the nervous emotion was Bill Hader. I think he was the voice. It was Bill Hader, wasn't it? That first one. I've seen this movie a few times, you know, watched it with the kids. They, you know, really enjoyed it. And no doubt we'll watch the sequel together. It's just that first movie was such a smart idea. And that's what Pixar does best. Like, you know, we got recently the movie Turning Red. My kids love that movie. My six-year-old, it's literally about a giant red panda, nothing else. And that's <laughs> when kids' movies can that's work where it best, works, it? where yeah. they can work on different levels, where it's working at different age groups within kids or adults, and there's something for everybody. But, yeah, you know, a sequel to Inside Out, yeah. Because what did they do? They did a short, didn't they, where Riley was going on a date. And oh, she was yeah, a bit older. Eight, I think it was yeah, so I think she was a bit older there as well. So it's ripe for the picking, isn't it? I think I've done this before. I think I've selected something as my most anticipated, and it's been like a week or two weeks away. And that's the case <laughs> here. So it's completely valid, you know. Like whether we're talking well, about it now. Out in a, is it that Beekeeper movie? I mean, plenty. <laughs> no, I've seen Beekeeper. That came out. Oh, yeah, you have seen it, of course. Yeah, that came out 11th of January. I'm talking about a film that is due to come out on the 1st of February. So I don't have to wait too long, but it is a film that I'm very much excited about. So I'm hoping we can actually review it. Not too far away, the movie Argyle, directed by Matthew oh. Vaughan. The cast is incredible. Henry Cavill, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Rockwell, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, John Cena, Samuel L. Jackson. The list just goes on and on. This trailer looks so much fun. And I think it could be the first film since the second Kingsman movie that Matthew Vaughan has done. I can't think of anything else that he's done recently, but this movie... He didn't do the third Kingsman one, did he? Or whatever. No, no, I think he was a producer. Man. He, he yeah. didn't direct it. So it's been it's been a while, but if you're unfamiliar, reclusive author Ellie Conway writes best-selling espionage novels about a secret agent named Argyle, who's on a mission to unravel a global spy syndicate. However, when the plots of her books start to mirror the covert actions of real-life spy organizations the line between fiction and reality begin to blur this looks like so much fun so what's happening in the books you see it acted out in film you've got henry cavill playing a version of argyle but there's all these different takes sam rockwell turns up in the trailer it just looks so much fun so again first of february we're posting this year in review on the 19th of january I don't have too long to wait, but I was thinking of movies that I'm generally looking forward to. And I'd seen a couple of TV spots, but before The Beekeeper, I saw a full trailer for Argyle. I'm like, do you know what? That movie's for me. I really want to see that film. <laughs> no, you're right. Like, I mean, Matthew Vaughn, Kick-Ass, um, uh, Kingsman, like, just he has such a fun start to his action and it really goofiness does. to it but it's 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 wonderful it's glorious like so um and but yeah a great sense of humor as well when it comes to all those things so um, but then yeah i'm looking forward to it as it, well 
Yeah, but you can even go back to Layer Cake with Daniel Craig, which wasn't sure, as yeah. goofy and over the top, but a really good film. And before he was directing his own movies, working with Guy Ritchie. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, and do you, you know what? See that influence there, can't you? You can, especially with Layer Cake. But before we really knew what Argyle was going to be, what we all saw was Henry Cavill with a flat top. It kind of looked like Guile from. Street Fighter, <laughs> and everybody, everybody was questioning his hairstyle. But anyway, the movie is almost here, first of February. Cannot wait. All right. Um, so look, that could potentially have been my number one uh, most anticipated movie, but it's not. Although it is up there, so I'm very keen for it. Uh, my number one, you know, uh, I'm not ashamed of this. Sonic the Hedgehog three, bring it on. Get me some of that. Shadow the Hedgehog. I've been waiting. Um, uh, directed oh. by Jeff Fowler. Mate, I'm just pumped. You know, there's there's movies out there, and uh, I won't even bother listening because potentially the number one could be like, could be yours. But there are some. You know, there's like a, there's a certain Marvel movie coming out. There's uh, there's an assortment of Sony Marvel movies. <laughs> no, I can't even say those. But the, you know, there there are some big films coming out in 2024. But Sonic the Hedgehog 3, man, that is tickling my something. Uh, it's, I'm there for it. The third installment in the Sonic the Hedgehog film franchise will bring back Ben Schwartz as Sonic, Colleen O'Shaughnessy as Tails, and Idris Elba as Knuckles. Um, will Jim Carrey return as the villainous Dr. Robotnik? Who knows? I don't know. He said he retired or something. Um, we'll see what happens there. What we do know is that Sonic will go up against a new villain, Shadow the Hedgehog, who was teased in the post credit scene of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I called it like four years ago that that would happen. It did. I'm so proud of myself. Um, and, mate, I'm, I'm just pumped. Like, they're fun movies. The first movie was great little buddy comedy road trip movie. The second one brought in tails, knuckles, just escalated everything. You know, like supersonic, all that stuff. The Chaos Emeralds. This one, Shadow. Like, yes, this this series of films is going in the exact right direction, and I'm more for it. I'm so giddy. Bring it on. I know it's a stupid choice, but I don't care. I'm pumped for it. <laughs> But you know what? Do it. (laughs) You saying this is your most anticipated movie of the year. Straight away, I feel like I believe you. (laughs) And that's that's what I said. This is about. There's a a bunch of movies coming out that I'm highly anticipating. And I'm like, look, can't wait to watch them. They look great, fantastic. I'm keen for them. But this one, I'm just like, mate, if that came out tomorrow, I would. (laughs) I'm there. Like, it's like. I've I've started with Argyle, and you're like, yeah, we're getting some Marvel Marvel movies, and I'm like, oh shit, we're getting Deadpool three. That sounds amazing. But then we're also (laughs) getting Madame Web and Craven the Hunter. I'm pretty sure that's out this year, and all the Sony Spider Man, which I'm not really Spider Man films. I'm interested in Madame Web purely because it's like, what the hell is it gonna? You do realize it comes out middle of February. So yeah, hopefully uh, uh, the 14th Valentine's Day. <laughs> hopefully, they did that for, um, the, <laughs> for the first Deadpool movie that came out Valentine's Day. Yeah, well, yeah. hopefully, do you know what? February we're ready. Argyle, Madam Web, back to back. Let's uh, let's let's make Five star movies. Let's do it. Let's make that happen. But yeah, Argyle, it, 
it's just yeah, it it looks a lot of fun for me. And my number one, probably surprising nobody. You do realize they're releasing a brand new Ghostbusters movie this year. I mean, yeah. Look, and again, keen. <laughs> I'm super keen. That's it for me. It really is like Afterlife was fantastic. You know, seeing it on the big screen and watching it with the family, and a continuation of that, and the trailer for this new one, Frozen Empire. It looks great. Like it really does. And again, you know, the other movies are great as well. But it's like, oh, wow, I'm I'm really liking the approach to this, really leaning into the horror, the drama, the mystery. And yes, there's going to be comedy in there. It is Ghostbusters, but loving the look of this first trailer. If you're unfamiliar, the Spengler family returns to the iconic New York City firehouse where the original Ghostbusters have taken Ghostbusting to the next level. When the discovery of an ancient artifact unleashes an evil force ghostbusters new and old must unite to protect their home and save the world from a second ice age empire magazine in the uk they've got exclusive coverage we've got a new look at zed moore and venkman in ghostbusters uh, frozen empire but also we got to see for the first time janine wearing a flight suit she's ready for action. I'm here for it. I am so here for it. We've got more of Paul Rudd as Gruberson. <laughs> like, I'm just, <laughs> wow, give me more of Afterlife and everything else. It just looks like so much fun. I'm really looking forward to it. So it's like when I'm looking at the movies that are coming out this year, it's like, don't lie to yourself. Ghostbusters is the one that you really, really want to see. And that's why it is my number one. I I feel like there is there is definitely a commentary here on the fact that the one like Marvel proper movie, Deadpool 3, is not on our it's not either of our top two most anticipated. It's like it's it's Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman is back as Wolverine, and neither of us picked it. I feel like there's something to be said there, but I, I mean, mean, I'm if, still looking forward to it. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm honest, you know, even though we're reminded on a regular basis, you know, social media posts, I kind of forgot. You know, when I was putting my list together, <laughs> and just knowing that it, I just think. Yes, you know, it's another Ghostbusters film. We've had a few by this point, but it's something that I love. And then just Argyle, I do love that type of film, the action comedy screwball and all of that, whereas we don't get it all the time, whereas like, it's yeah. another Marvel film. It kind of like it feels like it's just noise, like it's, it's always there, and after a while, it's easy not to notice it anymore. But I am legitimately... Looking forward to Deadpool 3, to the point where if we were picking a top three, maybe it would have been number three, but we're not. We're just sticking to <laughs> but <we're> number not. <laughs> two. But you're right, though. Like it, It's pretty insane that we're not both picking Deadpool 3. If I mean, opening weekend, I'll be there. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Like, yeah, we're not saying that we're not key. But I, think, just... I think it's kind of like... We, we've got a good idea what it's going to be. And, you know, there's going to yeah. be a joker around the end of, you know, Fox and 
that's going to be a thing and some characters are going to come back, some not, but is it canon, not canon? It's just for laughs. I'm sure it's going to be fun and we'll love it. Like, it's probably just going to make me angry, to be honest, and I think about it. I'm just like, oh, like, but, just like using the, the universe continuity. Ugh. But using Argyle as an example, like, I know I'm going to enjoy that. Right? And it looks really fun. And I really like Sam Rockwell. And what we're getting in that trailer is a bloody fun Sam Rockwell. So I'm here for it. Like it looks, it looks a lot of fun. So like sometimes you just want to watch something that you don't watch all the time. And that's what Argyle looks for me. Ghostbusters, yes, it's a sequel, but spending more time with that franchise, I'm very much looking forward to it. But how many Marvel films in continuity have we had since Iron Man? What was that, 2007? Yeah, the fact Lots. that I don't know the number anymore again speaks volumes. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, 37 or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? It's been a lot, but you know what? We've done it. That's it for our year in review 2023. Yeah, no, look, it was, it was epic and it was a uh, long, longer than we anticipated. But I mean, look, we've got a, we've got a pretty good year ahead i think in 2023 was obviously fun <laughs> clearly we had a we had a few laughs um mate we've got our 500th episode of that film you this year that's, that's a big number happening. yeah that's a big number and you know what just <laughs> going back like... to go back to what we just said there about i mean this episode in particular it's always longer than we think <laughs> we think it's yeah we're, like, who are we, you know what we, we sit down and we're like Two hours. Let's yeah, see. that's probably you know where it's going to land. Runtime. Oh, okay, it's yeah, always, sure. it's always longer. But yeah, episode five hundred. Let's do something. Let's do something special for that live show. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I do most of the editing, so that sounds good to me. It's <laughs> actually it's the same time. All right. All right, if you haven't already, check out our other shows, Rewind and Review and Sounds Like Comics. Each of those shows also have their own Facebook pages. Well, don't check them out. I don't know. Who cares? Um, <laughs> no, nah, I don't know. Uh, but thank you for sticking with us through another year. We look forward to bring you, bringing you more content, reviews, news, all the good stuff in 2024 on all of the shows. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. <laughs> you've been listening to Luke. And you've been listening to Jason. We're the guys from that film, Stu. See you soon. <laughs>